Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host, Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Hello, and welcome to this conversation with Damien Keyes, musician and entrepreneur. Big thanks to Jake at the Sneaky Panda, which is a secret cocktail bar hidden behind a bookcase within the Artist Residence Hotel in Brighton. If you haven't been there, it's absolutely worth it. The Artist Residence described their hotels as an eccentric bunch of friendly and fun places to eat, drink and sleep. And we reckon they should add, have interesting conversations to that list. There's a big difference between being in a conversation and listening to a conversation. And it's a real privilege to be able to do both. Listening to our conversation with Damien, I was most struck by his burn the ships approach. It's an approach that many guests have taken, but I'm not so sure that anyone else has been so conscious, so deliberate about their own approach to life. In 1519, the Spanish conquistador and explorer Captain Hernan Cortes landed in Veracruz, Mexico, and on his arrival, he ordered his men's to, men to burn the ships on which they'd arrived. Cortes and Damien both, it seems, understand and recognise that retreat is easy when the option is available. And Damien does not believe in Plan B. Damien throws himself into his music industry ventures like Cortes did in battle against the Aztecs. It's all or nothing, do or die. He makes it very difficult for himself to step back into his old comfort zone. And I think we can all learn from Damien's willingness to perform without a safety net. We've talked before about these crossing the threshold moments, but we've never talked about actively blocking the path home. It's not for the faint-hearted, but it makes huge sense because one option makes decisions so much simpler. As Cicero said, More is lost by indecision than wrong decision. Indecision is the thief of opportunity. It will steal you blind. We bring you Damien Key's Fuck Plan B. Yeah, that's good. You're probably okay with the microphone. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'm pretty good with the microphone. My pet peeves when people are like this. Yeah, that's it. Cool. So, Damien, lovely to um, see you a few days before a big um, moment in your life yeah so why don't we start there that's that feels like probably the most the thing that's occupying most of your headspace at the moment is it 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 absolutely is yeah so i'm moving to new york in around six to eight months um but part of that journey is i will be getting married in seven days oh it's uh, yeah yeah seven or eight days so uh nervous <laughs> <laughs> what what does the wedding look like uh it's basically um it looks like going to vegas uh, <laughs> and going to the little white chapel where i think they literally stick you in the little white chapel you get 15 minutes uh there's no elvis this time and uh, i say this time like i've done that before uh, <laughs> and then uh and then yeah i think then then it's vegas for a couple of days and try not to lose the house are you taking uh, <laughs> are you taking like friends and family and stuff you're gonna do stack and hindus over do you know what's really weird i mean i've been involved um i've been involved <coughs> I, I always say this but when it comes to weddings i've been to more weddings than most because 
as a musician i've been a musician for 20 years and you've married lots of people uh, yeah exactly <laughs> so when it comes to to weddings most people have been to 10 15 weddings but i've been to 1500 of these yeah things. right wow. yeah, yeah. so you know i know how these things work um but what, what's really weird is we live in a society where you're not allowed to do what you want so when we said yeah we're going to vegas to get married everyone was in uh, up in arms you can't do that what about us yeah and i was like oh i'm sorry i didn't realize you were the uh, <laughs> you were the factor yeah. but people were like well okay well we'll welcome to vegas and we were like no you're not no, no, it's, yeah, it's just us <laughs> and then people get really uppity about it and go but we want to come to vegas and we go i don't know what to do so but there's a, there's a very select few okay um of ella's family that are going to turn up I was just nastier. I just said no to everyone. Can we come? No. <laughs> and no. And why? Um, because selfishly, I don't. Having been to many weddings, I didn't want the responsibility of having to look after lots of other people. I want it to just be about our day, and obviously, and wedding such a special day. Um, but I have seen it so many times, and. You know, weirdly enough, as a musician, I've had everything. I've, I've had brides literally sat next to me crying, going, that's it. I've had the best day of my life and it's all down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> really? You know, and obviously that's in the minority. But at the same point, I can definitely see that, that when you do get married, it's over in a flash. You know, you have this sometimes years of planning that you've put yeah, into yeah. it. Uh, and what we wanted to do is just enjoy every moment and just say, do you know, we're going to go there. We're going to have something crazy. And, and not have the pressure. Yeah, exactly. No yeah. pressure. Do what we want. Just enjoy it. And afterwards, we're going to go and have some food and gamble. And I don't want to be sitting there looking at someone going, who are you? And why mm. have I just paid £75 for you eat the chicken? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I just thought a bit different. Um, and we thought about New York and then... I think I think it was Ella just went, what about Vegas? And oh, we both, really? You know, we both look at each other and go, yeah. oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Good for you. So we'll, we'll come back to, we were talking just before we started about New York, but maybe we'll come back there mm. uh, in a bit. But I noticed earlier, you just in a, a moment ago, you, you referred to yourself as a musician. Mm. Is, that, is that how you describe yourself to people today? <laughs> Yeah, so one thing I find really, really weird is, you know, when you do those, ne I'm terrible at networking mm. events. I'm really, I'm actually really socially awkward. Um, but when people come up and they, and you're chatting to them and they say, what do you do? And I'm thinking, oh no, what do I say? What do I say? Because I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy who goes, well, actually I build businesses. Yeah. Because that just does, that's, I don't want to be that guy. But also I know that if I say I'm a musician, people go, oh, I get it. Mm. And what's your day job? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I usually... I'm scruffy, so if I'm scruffy, I just say oh, I'm a, I'm a musician, and and I kind of leave it at that, because um, that way, the conversation will then avert away from me, and I can just say, then to what? What do you do? Tell me about you. Um, I find that easier. So and then they say they build businesses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I go, oh, I wouldn't do that. Um, but yeah, so I, and weirdly enough, I started as a musician. And I think as I would class myself as a creative yeah, and, and all the reasons why I, I do what I do in building businesses and and helping musicians and playing and stuff um, is purely for me creativity. I get to create things. I get to build things. I, if I could sum myself up in one word, it would be a weirdly a builder. Yeah. Uh, I just build things. And then once I, I got bored of it, I go, oh, I want to build something else now and, and fiddle with it. And oh, that didn't work. I, that, you know. The one and thing how was, long can you do the building for? In my life, 
how long does it how long before you get bored oh oh that's a very good question um if it i mean i i think one thing when you build things in businesses or anything is you fail a lot i'm yeah. really good at failing like yeah. i am top level failing <laughs> yeah. five star <laughs> five star absolutely yeah uh, and so usually i mean there definitely has been moments with the businesses especially the big ones where you do take stock of your life and you look around and you think to yourself what am i doing this for mm. because you want to build and when you build whether you put the pressure on the targets being financial or the best or um or doing something that's never been done before there is a time where growth and success comes with its own cost i i believe um so ups and downs pros and cons and the creativity is usually usually something that starts to sort of wane it starts Mm, to be taken away from you and as soon as that happens i definitely find myself struggling because Mm. i uh, that's when i start getting bored i'm Uh, gonna get i'm gonna give you an analogy i'm just gonna throw this at you like this so um my my heritage is uh building software right but i see that as a, a as a creative endeavor at its best <clears throat> and i found that when i started hiring um other software developers there was a really high correlation between good software engineers and um and the people that also played guitar right um and i that that really intrigued me and i found that uh when i when i think i was at my best in doing that I always had another thing on the side that was a physical endeavor. And I feel like there's maybe like um, a yin-yang thing. There's some kind of balance going on. Yeah. And I wonder, looking back at that correlation between those that play guitar and those that are good software engineers, if maybe there's just something around those two disciplines where what ultimately it's doing is kind of keeping the creative juices. Yeah, and and a way that your brain Exactly. Very interesting enough uh, when it comes to video, making videos. Um, and editing especially um, I have four or five people I work with all all drummers it's just a thing oh, right. just the, okay. maybe the way that their brain thinks about the beat and the music and the way it's kind of subdivisions mm. and things but good drummers usually good videographers yeah weird very weird yeah so setting the scene a bit here yeah. we um, so we should say where we're sitting actually because we're we're in Brighton and do you want to go, Ray? Well, we're in the artist residence. In fact, we're in a secret bar in the artist residence. It's very cool, isn't it? It is quite cool, <laughs> quite isn't cool, it? So yeah. there's a bookcase. So if you <laughs> ever come to the artist residence, there's the set, which is the restaurant downstairs, the artist residence, the hotel, boutique hotel. And then uh, there's a bar, which we I think we all... Um, we were at a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a good cocktail bar. But if you come downstairs and go to the toilet, there is a ping pong room. And then you'll see a bookcase that you walk past. That bookcase is actually a door. It's brilliant. It's a it? door to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that, yeah, well, it's a nice place to be, actually, isn't it? But uh, t- Thank you, Jake. Yeah, thank you, Jake. At Twisted, at Twisted Panda, I think it is. But And the guys at the set and the artist residence for letting us have the space. Um, when So we we met one another a couple of weeks back. We were speaking at the same event. Yeah. And um, we didn't have much time to talk, actually. But I remember your, your talk was great and your Thanks. opener was particularly strong. Right. Um, I think you know this. So uh, I'm just going to try and reproduce some of it, which won't translate so well on the podcast, but um, it will help set the scene, I think. So you, you walked up and you had um, a kind of battered-looking bass guitar. Yeah, on old and battered. Neck. And I thought, look at this guy. He looks the part and he's going to go up and he's just going to start playing. And it wasn't sort of the right place to start you know start song but but you didn't uh you you told a story about that guitar and you said um something along the lines of 
this guitar has traveled the world with me for the last 10 years it's earned millions of pounds it's played in front of hundreds of thousands of people and i was like wow look at that <laughs> guitar it's amazing and then you took the guitar off and handed it to somebody and then you went on to tell some of the story of um you as a musician and mm -hmm. kind of what what that had felt like and i think and then the next bit which really resonated was you showed um a picture i forget where it was but it was a, a very very big audience oh yeah and you told and you said about how you're waiting in the wings and maybe there was clapton there and a few other big names and you were just about to go on and then you showed another picture of a couple of couple of days later and it was a very very small stage yeah. um and you were playing it that was a social time. yeah right and you're playing <laughs> that a couple of couple of nights later to three or four people yeah so do you want to do you want to start there and tell us a little bit about um what what did that life feel like how did you find yourself there it was it's very surreal because I think it's it's we live in a time in social media where you're constantly PRing yourself to the to the highest level. But the reality is, is you know most of us when we have the ups, and by the ups I don't mean sort of the feelings of ups. I mean oh, I got that great gig or I managed to sign that great contract. That's fantastic, but they're not usually every day. They're usually, and for me as a musician, it was, you know, you look at the CV and it's over a 20 year period, I might have done 2000 gigs and out of those 2000 gigs, um, I've only played Wembley Arena twice. So out of 2000, you know, that's not a high percentage, <laughs> but people will focus in on it and they'll go, hang on a minute, did you play Wembley Arena? Mm. Or, you know, that, that particular gig, Hyde Park, was 150,000 people. I was playing with Eric Clapton. Um, next to Eric Clapton was Pete Townsend. Um, the drummer from the Foo Fighters was on drums. Um, Gary Glitter was in the corner, but we don't talk about him. <laughs> uh, there was, um, who else was there? It was just loads of these great people. I remember I remember just walking off stage and, and face to face with um, Roger Taylor, the drummer from Queen. And I was like, that was, when I was a kid, Queen was the only cassette tape that was in the car mm. and I was like oh it's Roger Taylor he's really lovely I had a chat with him while I was trying to be cool he was like oh that sounds great and I was like yeah thanks in my head I was like it's Roger Taylor <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was like this is inc this is amazing I'm literally about to play with you know Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd in front of 150,000 people amazing fantastic but you know that's what 15 20 years later and I'm still talking about it I don't mm. talk about the other 1200 gigs and so that was the reality is 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 the glue that holds it together is but how are you going to pay your mortgage and the 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 irony is i got paid more from playing to three people at a social club mm. three days later than i did for playing in front of 150,000 people um because that's the way music industry works a lot of the time so the, the yin and the yang and i think that for me is a really good story of we always go in at the highlights. We always go in at the top level. Yeah, I did this once, and that's our CV level sort of stories. Um, but I just, for me, I always felt as a musician, wherever I was, I never felt like, um, I never had a problem with the, the low end gigs. I was always, I felt like I was very privileged because of my background, that if I was making any money from, from playing bass, which is what I play, if I, if I was standing on stage and playing bass and someone was gonna pay me money, I st and even now, I still feel like I'm kind of like, like I've, like I've won. I feel like yeah, I've yeah. kind of, not that I'm conning people. Cause you, cause yeah, you enjoy doing it. Yeah. And you I'm do like, it for free. I'm like, when, when I'm like, we get paid for this. Mm. This is ridiculous. Mm. And you're like, and there's, you know, there's tough, li t tough bits of life on the road, but I still feel like, you know, that privileged lifestyle of all the things. I mean, so my background is I actually um, 
I failed my GCSEs. And then um, I had to go home and tell my mum that I'd failed all my GCSEs. Was it expected that you would fail your GCSEs? I mean, I wasn't convinced, but at the same point, my mum thought I was going to be a lawyer. So <laughs> that, that true still does. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going home and thinking, oh, I failed all my GCSEs. Anyway, so she came home from work and, I, and she said, how did you do? And I said, oh, I, um, not very well. Uh, I, I failed everything. And I thought she was going to freak. And she didn't. She just went, it's fine. It's okay. We can fix this. So I was like, oh. Okay, great. And she said, what we'll do is you can resit the year. And I was like, oh. That doesn't sound uh, so good. <laughs> so all my friends went off to college, and I had to stay back. I was that kid that stayed back wow. here, and I was the kid who could grow a full beard where no one else could. Yeah. Um, and I had to resit all my GCSEs and do the entire year again, and I, I, I failed them all the second time as no. well. So I basically got one the second time, and at which point my mum, I think, had just gone, okay. And I was like, don't worry, mum, it's fine. I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> she, she was like, you do you, son. Uh, and so she, so she was very supportive by the sons of things there. Um... I think she is, in her own way, has always been very... I mean, she's very supportive as, of me. Mm. Um, I think at that point, you have those... I think when you're a parent, you do have those kind of... You can do what you like, but let's just let's just get you sorted first. Go and get your A-levels, uh -huh. go and get your degree, go and get your MA, and all those things that you do. As soon as that rug gets pulled from you, I think there is a panic as a parent, which is, I'm sure it's going to be fine, but at the same point... I my job is to protect mm. I guess so I think when I just said mum I'm going to be a rock star I think she was like oh I don't know what the choices are but I, I joined a band which got a major oh, I, I joined a band and we got a major label deal when so, you say joined were they an existing band that you yeah so there they just hadn't had some bass players the singer songwriter was doing some writing and it was working and then I sort of joined as a bass player we started doing some gigs and then all of a sudden we got signed to a, a singles deal which means that we put out one song which did quite well because we had a little audience around the area this was Swansea um, this was yeah it was in Cardiff so okay. I was traveling backwards and forwards and then um, and then I <laughs> from there um, we had to do a bunch of showcases in London to major labels and I was like well this this is great we got signed to a major label we got signed to um, uh, Universal so uh -huh. par Parliament Records which was part of Universal and major major label and so everyone we had we had every we had manager we had um we had a and r which is really funny because a and r is a thing which is like a unicorn like or the g-spot you don't you've never there's no such thing really is like you hear about these things but you never find them uh and so we were literally like i've got we've got a and r we've got manager we've got a label we've got a budget this is it we've made it and everyone was telling us we're going to be the next u2 and did, i was did like, it just just sorry to jump in but i just want to make sure we don't lose sight of this question that it sounds so far like all of this happened quite easily. It felt quite easy. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's what it I was did. picking it up. It felt on. quite easy. So, so why was that? Um, the guy who wrote the songs was very good. Yeah, is that what it comes down to? Yeah. The, so the songs were good songs, and he, he was, was a really so good. good. But someone else must have been doing some work around. We worked hard finding the right people. Definitely and being worked seen hard. I think sometimes, and you know, as we move through the progression of, of you know starting BIM and the other the companies. So when was this? This was 1994, 95. Okay. So, uh, and I think sometimes you just come together with people that you click with and okay. go, oh, this is a team. Yeah. And that team just all of a sudden gels very, very well and you're not forcing anything. And, and, and it's, pre in, it's pre internet as well. So, yeah. talent, there were people out there looking for talent. Yes. Yeah. Whereas these days, they, you have well, to. Well, they sort are, of, but in a different way, right? Yeah. There was no, yeah. pr like now, now it's very much a case of <coughs> proof. Just go, well, show me your numbers. Yeah, show yeah. me your. Whereas back then it was like, we'll take a punt on you. We yeah. think you're good. And. 
so we made a record in Rockfield and I remember standing next to the piano that Freddie Mercury had written Bohemian Rhapsody on and I was like I'm going to be a rock star obviously well, you are a rock star uh, exactly. at that point um, so sorry I jumped in but you were saying so you'd got that you'd got that first singles deal yeah and now you're doing these showcases in London which you've got your A&R yes and everything and everything just feels everything like has fallen it, into the place the world's just coming towards you and we made a record in Rockfield and it was like this is great we're going to put the record out and then everyone's going to know who we are and we're going to be on TV and stuff the problem is is what people don't tell you with major labels is they don't sign bands and make them work. They sign many, many bands to see if some of them will work. Yeah. And yeah. so we were in the other group mm. that didn't work. So we put the record out and my mum, who was supportive, did buy it. But other than that, I don't think, <laughs> don't think anyone more than one Damien, come on. <laughs> and at that point, I remember having uh, a phone call and um, with the manager and he was like, they've dropped you it's, it's over that how quickly was that it sounds like the whole thing lasted nine months like well, right, really quick yeah really quick and, and then, in, that, in that time so you recorded uh, a couple of singles no or? we recorded an entire album oh you did record an album yeah, yeah so most the of the album. time was spent recording the album yeah and then we, did you play it much yeah um, no we, we did it they put us on two tours with bands that just didn't fit in they put us on tour with um, who was he? he put us on tour with Chumbawamba oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were like we are not a Chumbawamba crowd um, they put us on tour with a bunch of uh, bands uh, which didn't didn't really work for us. Did you get any say on that? Uh, I mean, I didn't. I was young. I was younger than the other guys in the band, so I was eighteen at this point. And um, but yeah, the whole thing was so fast. But we got dropped, and I remember thinking, "Cool. Well, what happens next?" And the manager just went, "That's it." And I was like, "But what happens next?" And he went, uh, "Get a job." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh." Okay, I guess it goes. That's it. It's over. It's finished. Like the whole dream has just been pulled aside. And at this point, I feel like failing GCSEs, going back again, failing GCSEs, getting a record deal and thinking, oh, this is going to be it. And then having that pulled and then failing again. Just um, so did you did, do you remember ever actually feeling like you were a rock star? No, because In it was all you're about to be a rock star. Okay. So, so. you felt as though you might be somebody who was on the edge to becoming a rock yes. star you're definitely a musician but that's a that's yeah. a pretty yeah. that's a pretty yeah. good uh time of your life when you're just about to be something isn't it it's yeah very very, very exciting, exciting. Yeah. sometimes it's better than the actual thing it was amazing and and just sort of thinking when this album comes out everyone's gonna know but nobody knows because you'll be there's no social media no you're behind closed doors making something but you've got a huge backer so it's like this kind of corporate financial backer who's saying not only have we got the money that we're putting into it but we've got the experience mm. we know how to make a hit record so we were like well we're done then That's yeah it. We're, and, we're in. And, and also at that age presumably uh whatever you're told you don't have the confidence or foresight to cast your own opinion yeah. particularly because they're the experts they're the people yeah, and that i had no i had no idea what we were doing yeah. at all. I, I was just along for the ride i was just like i just play bass and you know happy kid mm. you know i yeah. play bass you you point point me in the direction of the stage i'm gonna play i would play anywhere anytime i just loved playing bass so yeah the whole thing didn't last long mm -hmm. um but the irony was is at that point i was like okay get a job but a friend of mine who was a drummer said i can get you a job and obviously i've got no gcse's i've got no experience whatsoever and he said i'll get you a job with me and i was like great and it was in the local shampoo factory in swansea <laughs> so i was like you know just going along with life at the time i was like i'll 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just figuring this stuff out. I've got no plan. I've got no strategy. All that I know is I was going to be a rock star. And I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. So I have to figure something else out. So I walked into this shampoo factory and there was a conveyor belt. And this dude, um, he put me on this conveyor belt and he said, um, what happens is there's a guy at the end. Who he didn't actually put you on the conveyor belt. Did <laughs> no, no. <laughs> this is how it starts. Yeah. He literally said, stand here. And there's a guy at the end who puts the shampoo bottles on the conveyor belt. Your job, pick up a shampoo bottle, wipe the top, put it back on the conveyor belt. Someone at the other end will then box it up. And I was like, yep. And he was like, that's it. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. So anyway, I was doing this, picking a bottle up, polish it put it down again and then about three hours in i was thinking this is rubbish <laughs> <laughs> and i looked at my friend who was there and i was like i don't like i don't i don't want to do this i'm and getting bored yeah i'm getting bored <laughs> i've been three hours and he said oh, no no it, it's fine you, you get used to it i'll never forget those words you get used to it and i remember thinking I don't want you to get, get used to it. Yeah. I was like, how long have you been here? And he said, seven years. No, seven years. Yeah. Doing that same job. Yeah. And I was like, I literally instantly, there was like a shiver and I put the shampoo, bo- I polished it first, but I put the shampoo <laughs> bottle down and I just left. I was like, I'm not, I'll figure something out. And I, I remember walking home. It was about three miles home. I remember walking home and just thinking, I have no idea how I'm going to make a living from music and playing bass. But, I'm going to figure it out. I'll do whatever it takes to do that. Do you know what? I, I think I think, I think everybody should do a job like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think whatever happens afterwards, it makes you appreciate. Absolutely. My the whole variety life. or whatever it might be that you didn't get doing yeah. that really crappy job. Do you know what? My entire life revolves around that pr- that premise of i'm not going back to the factory yeah even yeah. to the point now where you just go well, yeah, of course yeah. you're not going back to the factory. why not why would that possibly happen with the experience and like got businesses and like even if i lost everything i'm not yeah. going back to the factory but my head still goes i'm not going back to the factory. yeah and, and, I, and i think i think this is this is something that's come out in other conversations we've had about this these sort of well i, I call them rock bottoms yeah you know and they're, they're not they're not rock bottoms in they're not you for know, everyone. It would not, some some people would live like like your mate that was doing it for seven years. Yeah, he was, that wasn't his rock bottom. No, no, exactly. For whatever reason, no, that's right. Was, but you, yeah, you, you, if you can create them and you understand that 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 is their turning points. That's right. Another yeah. way of thinking about it is that it's their turning yeah, points, absolutely. and you remember them really clearly, um, and, and you react yeah against them. And I think it's important that we all sort of mark them and yeah. remember them, just as the way you did. You did it for three hours and you remember it. Yeah. Well, and the fact that imagine the, the the power that that's given you because um, those that was three hours that was three hours really well spent <coughs> yeah. probably the best job you've ever had yeah because what it's done is it's given it's fired something in you it's a trigger and it's something that just sounds like it's not it's not leaving you because as you said even now when you don't need it it's still driving you and, and I think if you look at you know I'm sure we'll talk about these things but even things like I was I was with some of my old bandmates the other day and they said you can move to New York you're not scared and I was like. Oh yeah, I'm terrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in my head, it can't be as scary as walking away from a factory with zero experience, with zero qualifications, mm. and thinking, "I don't know, but I will figure it out." And if I can do that, then I can do it again. And and and, and um, even at that point, aged eighteen, nineteen, whatever it was, you yeah. were, you had some confidence that it would work out okay. I don't know if I did. I just felt like 
I had to try. Yeah, it was worth the risk. Yeah, it was worth the risk. I I mean, I was looking at it thinking from a leverage point of view, what have I got to lose? What job in a factory for three hours that I'm already... I think I was more scared of staying in the factory than I was scared of losing. But you'd got good at... so trying because you tried your GCSEs and then failed and you said you're good you're good at failing earlier mm. which is great yeah. in business it's great in life actually being good at failing but I guess not if you why keep failing it, doing the same thing again and again though yeah well yeah we, I mean eventually you have to break the cycle but yeah. I wonder I was just thinking about how that so it sounds like that's the thing that's driving you and I, I was wondering when you made that decision after three hours to to stop what how much fear there was of kind of retracting back to your safe space and then at that point whether there was any concern of kind of your mental state of like who am i and and what what am i about but it sounds like um you were still being driven by this feeling of like well worst thing that's going to happen is i'm going to fail and then i'll just get up and go again yeah and so that's interesting because that quality i think we can overlook that we can look at that and just go well that's just part of what spurred you on Mm -hmm. But why? What, what, what was it about? What, why is it okay for you to fail in a way where it isn't okay for other people to fail? Is it about the way you deal with it, the way you internalize it? I think now looking back, I think the psychology, there's lots of psychology bits that make more sense. I think at the time, my brain just said, nope. <laughs> and so you just leave. And yeah. I think, I, think I, I had failed at that point. Weirdly enough, it sounds ridiculous, but um, we have this quite a lot in the music industry with musicians where people think that talent is is the thing. And talent's not the thing. I mean, there's millions of people with talent. You go on Instagram, there's 10-year-old kids that can play better than me. And I'm like, Completely how, did, agree. how did that happen? Yeah. But it's what you do with that talent that absolutely matters. And I think, you know, I was, I was at school just average joe i wasn't i wasn't terrible i wasn't a horrible kid i wasn't i didn't have problems i i I didn't have my x-factor story but at the same point i wasn't good at anything i didn't win anything i wasn't the head of the sports teams um and i think then failing gcse's twice and then failing the, the record deal i think probably psychologically my brain had just gone oh okay well you know you failed a couple of things so you if you fail again we know it's not that bad Mm. maybe i mean i I remember at the time not there was no psychological thoughts of this i literally just heard him say seven years and i was like my feet were just walking it was like nope not doing that i'm out and i think you look back at probably what made up that bit even though you don't think about it um but but you what you what you knew with the two years of failed gcse's and the record deal was Mm. that failure doesn't kill you yes absolutely that's yeah. a really good point actually because uh you'd think that failing gcse's first time and then feeling embarrassed that your friends are moving on and you're not yeah it sounded a little bit like you were well I'd, certainly now you're really comfortable being quite jovial about that now yeah and at the time it maybe wouldn't have felt like that but i wonder whether there was an element of that still in you because then you went and did it again mm. and it still wasn't great and you said you know i've got one yeah. so like um again it's jovial it's sort of kind of playful yeah but you're moving forward and then you go do something and you and you get your record deal and then that all goes crazy and that's really fantastic and exciting and then it disappears mm. so every time even though it's failure it's failure with a slightly new perspective yeah you know yeah. first first new perspective yeah, is yeah, yeah. well i've gotten a bit further than i did before and i've survived it yeah. so it's not that bad and then next time round, well i'm now like playing my bass and like and i'm in the in the industry and i'm learning like stuff it's the best thing ever disappeared 
but I've yeah. learned that that's possible. Yeah. I've kind of, I've increased my vision of what's what, what what I'm capable of in the world and what the world can provide for me. Yeah, and I think one thing I definitely have and have had since I was very young is the self awareness. I, I I have this in businesses. I I call it my lane. I, I have my lane, which is very narrow. And in life, I'm you know pretty useless at many many things. The thing I'm good at happens to be. Uh, quite a good thing to talk about and that people like and it makes money because it's business um, but when it comes to the self-awareness I I always think I'm not the most talented I'm not the most skilled I'm not the cleverest I'm not I haven't got these crazy bits of wisdom but I always used to say I very difficult to outwork me because it, I'll just have to work harder than you so and therefore, if I have to get up earlier and go to bed later because I'm not as talented as you, then then I'll do that. And so th I think there's that that kind of line in the graph where talent meets the hard work, and and being able to overtake the talent by saying, you know, it's great that you've got talent, but I'll, I'm just going to work so hard that it will obliterate your talent mm. as such. And then obviously you do have to have a, a certain amount of talent and you, a certain amount of skill. But there's a lot you can do with. Hard okay, work. so so do you. <coughs> are you competing against other people or are you no. competing against yourself? always competing about myself uh, competing with myself yeah I so think, to what you were yeah previously absolutely and, and yeah. also i i want to get to the end of my life and think i, I never think oh, i didn't i could have done something there i could have done something different um and so i'd rather try something and fail knowing that i could start again i think the other thing is you take all of the knowing this now do, you don't know this when you're no, 18 right. um but you can take every single life lesson you take on to the next thing so you know there's all of these multi-millionaires and billionaires that then lose everything and then they just go and get it back again mm. and the way they say it we mean you just win and get it back back again but it makes complete sense if you play a computer game uh, and it takes you you know 20 hours to get to a certain bit and then you lose all the data or you can't do it and you go oh, I've got to start all over again you'll do that bit in two hours instead yeah, of yeah, yeah. in 60 <coughs> hours because you understand you absolutely how know how to climb up those first absolutely. few rungs yeah, yeah. you've you done it so many right. times yeah to get to rung 20 when you yeah. fell off so the more you're pushing yourself the worst that happens is and also what are you going to lose what money I mean I, I also think I'm quite lucky in the way that I'm not motivated by money, which I think is quite also it's it's I don't want to make it it sound like a trivial thing because I think it's quite easy when when you've got some money to just go, oh, I don't really care about money. Mm. Money, I find, is like oxygen is like, you know, you don't really care about it until it's gone. And then all of a sudden you it care really about matters. it a lot right. more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, But I'm not motivated by money because if if that was the case, then I do find that. What am I going to buy? A better car or mm. another bigger house? Uh, those things don't bother me. But the experience of everyday solving problems, I love that bit. That's my favourite bit. Uh, and, mo and money is that money. Money is what comes with solving yeah. business yeah. problems. And it's a way to to to, to um, money is a way of um, whether it's a target. It's a way of analysing uh, and marking what you've done and, and comparing if it's working. Yeah, and it's simple, isn't it? And I've always had that. So going back to me being sort of 18 and and, and, and walking out the factory, um, I wasn't in any way worried about, oh, how am I going to live? Because I was like, well, I'm, that that I can I can, I can can earn enough money to survive. I, I've, I've got no problem from a, a living wage. You know, I was like, well, I'm going to live on beans. That's what, I, and which is what I did for the, for the first year. Uh, I remember having enough money 
I didn't live at home. I moved out, so I was like 18. Um, and I did enough gigs to just pay for the room that I had. And then I lived off, and there was no going out. You know, so and I think that's one thing as well is is I'm quite lucky in the way that I don't think this is a sacrifice. It's something that doesn't it doesn't uh, uh, it doesn't worry me. Is I had one holiday in my twenties. That was it. That was literally one holiday in my entire twenties. And I don't look back and go, I wish I'd gone on holidays. I was like, I have done a whale of a time. I was building businesses or you know just enjoying the building and creating things. And everyone's different. Some mm. people want to travel. Some people want to build and. I think it's very important to do the thing that <clears throat> that fits your soul and what you're searching for. Can well, we just if you sorry, I think that's an interest, interesting point because if, if what are holidays? Mm. <laughs> you know, exactly holidays same, are yeah. really uh, they, they certainly the word sounds like it's something away from something, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And if you're enjoying what you're doing, there is less need. Well, for, you're on holiday. For, on holiday, yeah. exactly. You're yeah. on holiday, and you're sort of creating y your whole twenties was a. It was a great. holiday Absolutely. in a way. Yeah. Just yeah. rewinding a bit. So, can we put a bit more context into your what your upbringing was like? So, the role of your of your parents, um, grandparents, anyone else that was influential, and yeah, yeah. in particular, like attitudes towards money, attitudes towards sort of success in the in the most kind of you know broadest sense. Broadest sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, this is where we go deep. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, going deep. So, I've never talked about this sort of you know, on, on, on anything. But so my real dad left when I was three and he's a lovely dude, like really nice guy. Um, but he doesn't have any ambition like at all. There's no ambition. I'm sure he would probably say the same thing. He doesn't have any ambition. He's just quite happy to do his own thing. And when I say ambition, I don't just mean work. I mean, I, I don't see it in anything, mm. you know, in, in, wanting to see me or wanting to own anything or wanting to do anything or wanting to travel I mean he's never been on a plane literally never when I found that out which was only uh, the last time I saw him like a year ago or something and then he was like oh you've never been on a plane in my head I was like you should do that yeah right it's yeah. great yeah <laughs> um, it's certainly an experience yeah it's an experience but I don't think he needs those experiences he, he his his whole life doesn't revolve around wanting anything so therefore he doesn't not only does he not want materialistic things but I don't think he wants the experiences either he's just quite happy just doing his thing and so you know we don't talk very often we talk I mean I didn't talk to him I've, I've seen him twice in the last like nine years uh -huh. and it's not like we don't get on it's just we don't have anything to say. Yeah. So, and, and I, if he needs me, I'm here. And if I need him, which I won't, but he's there. If yeah. he's listening, sorry. <laughs> uh, but at the same point, that's just the way it is. And but I remember thinking, um, that scares me. That really scares me. Uh, that lack of ambition. And Do you drive. remember what kind of age that was? Um, I remember. No, I mean I remember the the just the classic rubbish dad things of kind of I remember my 15th birthday where I was just waiting for a phone call didn't get it those sorts of yeah. things um, and thinking oh right he just doesn't there's there's, there's not that kind of care mm. he doesn't want anything mm. and, and if I hadn't rung him for months and then I'd ring him up I'd get told, shouted at or, or not shouted at but I'd get stressed because I was like oh, I haven't talked to him he's going to have a go at me and I'm like you can call me. Mm. <laughs> You're the dad. You're mm. supposed to keep in touch with yeah. me. I'm, I'm, I'm the idiot. I'm the son. That's the responsibility. Mm. I'm, I've got a kid. I don't expect him to ring me. Mm. <laughs> so there was those sorts of feelings. And then there was, you know, just 
watching the way he sort of never, never really wanted a job or, or had jobs i don't know what he does now if anything but so i think those sorts of things you know if i put one thing down to my ambition it's that seeing somebody that doesn't have ambition yeah, it's just yeah. going i just don't want to be that so the thing is the factory think versus my dad and going i don't want to be like that and mm. i don't need i don't need stuff but i do need achievements mm. i do need to expand my cv and say and then i did this and then i did this and every time an opportunity comes up i want to jump on it almost kind of I mean, I think it probably started off trying to show him and going, look, look what you can, the world is so amazing. Look at the great things if that you, you If you do. go out, if you take personal responsibility, yeah. go out and do stuff, yeah. look isn't, what happens. This is what isn't happens. life amazing? You can do anything you yeah. want if you want to do it. Yeah. Um, and then it probably ended up with more slightly jaded. As long as I'm, as long as I'm achieving, I'm, I'm doing the, what I felt was the right thing. And there's mm. no right thing. He's quite happy. He's very content. I think that's the word. He's content. Do you think about that? Do you think about, so if you stretch the example of what you're describing with, with your dad, it, it blurs into kind of a Zen state almost. Yeah. And, and, and in kind of current culture, that's actually considered almost the panacea. Mm. And so there's one lens to look through, which is, well, is that what we're reaching for? Yeah. You know, to just be so content in your own space that you're that you're not searching for anything out external you're just so happy internally yeah it doesn't sound like that's where he's at i'm not sure don't know but do you do you, do you do you question that do you because because they're on the other extreme of um achieving 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 you can you can then become a different version of yourself yeah. where actually you're moving further away from ever feeling content with what with what well, you have you, it you it, definitely didn't dip from way from what you described of the exper experience so far with failing GCCs and then the band, it didn't sound like you had that that no. kind of foresight at that point. No, absolutely not. And I think contentment's a really interesting thing because whether you're achieving or whether you're not achieving, achieving that contentment is interesting because I think you can achieve nothing and not be content. Mm. I think you can achieve everything and not be content. That's right. And if it all ends tomorrow, I feel like I just had a whale of a time. Yeah. I'd just be really you, enjoying myself. So, so I think you said it earlier about regrets. Mm. <clears throat> You don't want to get, you know, to the point where you're about to depart this world yeah. and feel as though you didn't try the things that you actually wanted to do but yeah. couldn't summon up the courage. I think so, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Mm. And I think, you know, if you look at the history, I think uh, not. he wasn't a role model. I've got I, my mum remarried <clears throat> when I was four or something and, I, and my stepdad has been in my life, you know, all my life and he's just very very influential very inspirational he's just f fun funny and i get I, I i definitely get a lot more of the fun aspect of life from from him mm. so you know it's it's definitely i think you can also you know this is weird isn't it like everyone can have issues with their parents you know whether you've got parents just stay together and it's all fine or you know the parent leaves or you know your parents can really mess you up oh big time yeah and so what do you do about it do you just say, well, I'm not going to let it affect me, I'm, you know, in, in a negative way. I'm going to let it affect me because you can't help that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this, this, this and this. I think um, I think I was quite lucky in the way that just a lot of, as you say, sliding doors moments, mm. a lot of things happen that just sort of make you into it because I definitely could have gone off the other end. Mm. I definitely am from, you know, I, my mum sent me where we lived at the time. My mum sent me to uh, Bible school 
for like the first 12 years of my life. And the reason for that is because the local school was not nice at all. Mm, Growing up in that part of Swansea, my mum was like, I don't want him to go there. So she sent me to this, where she went, which was this kind of Bible school. So I went there and I was- And that's why you did so well with your your, your qualifications. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, so that works out quite well. (laughs) But you didn't get into trouble. The entire school, like, you know, we're talking not just, I don't mean the class, I mean the entire school, whole school, was 120 students. Whoa. The whole school. Oh, wow. So, you know, small. Yeah. You know, yeah my yeah. entire year was probably 19 students, 19 kids in one whole Girls year. and boys? Yeah, probably about six girls and yeah. probably about 13, 14 dudes. And that yeah. that was the whole thing. You know, there's all these things that you look back and go, all of these weird That's yeah. right. things that happen. Because I could have just gone to, if, if I'd gone to the other school, because everyone else went to that other school, and, you know, just had one slight sliding doors moment where it turned into me being negative me and going well this is my lot this mm. is what happens in Swansea this is what yeah. people do because I've still got lots of friends I was there yesterday I've got loads of friends who are still in Swansea you know very content very happy but for me I wanted to go and see if I could uh, I knew I wanted to just get out and try something and see what happens mm. and so y- 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 I think it's really interesting that your um, your dad uh, do you call your stepdad your dad? Or yeah, I call my stepdad my dad. Oh, right, okay. What weird. do you call your... Uh, Bryn is his Bryn. name. okay. <laughs> Hello, Bryn. Um, but Bryn, in a way, sort of in, inspired you. Mm. He was sort of a mentor in a way. But absolutely. A, a reverse mentor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who, who, were there other people, obviously your, your dad, yeah. your, your stepdad dad, uh, he was inspiring you yeah any anybody else that was around you at the yeah, time so that I, you sort of I, the most that you understood that there was another world out there yeah so i left swansea I, I knew i needed to get out of swansea at that point the factory was like this isn't going to work i've got to get out of here so <laughs> i i thought i need to go and formally learn this instrument so i can meet better people i need to get out of where i was in swansea and and get nearer london i was going to go and study at a college in london and i just happened to meet a guy that was working at a brand new college in guildford and he said you should check this place out which i did and ended up becoming a student on the very first year of this college was only 44 students i can't let this one go either so just happened to meet Yes, yeah, so, so uh, how? Well, this is a really good sliding door story. So effectively, um, I was doing my thing, being a musician, and my mum just, uh, I went back home, I was spending time with my mum. She put this um, newspaper on the table and said, the Prince's Trust are doing this free rock school course. And I was like, this was at the point when you were you had your deal. Yeah, right. So that's gone. So effectively, oh, that's now finished. Oh, so this is after this. So I right, was right, kind right, of, right. I was kind sort of, of just moping. post champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was moping around. Yeah, yeah. In my bed. Well, I wasn't in my bedroom. So she put in my that bed down. Sit. Yeah, uh, and she put it down. She was like, "This would be really good. You get to meet other musicians. It'd be fun." You know, nineteen years old, just come out of a major label deal. I was like, <laughs> I think, I don't think I need a. Do free you know course. who I am? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know who I think I should be. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, speak to my guitar. <laughs> So effectively, I was like, oh, thanks, mum, but I don't think this is right for me. I think this is like a free little course for stuff. Anyway, so I sat there and I was literally playing my guitar. I'd taken it with me and I put it on the on, on my bed. And I was sitting there playing and I was kind of looking at it. And this, this I don't know what happened, but this, it was like this, this feeling came over me and just kind of went, well, it might be fun. Why not? Yeah, why not? And I, I don't know what, this is something that completely changed my life. Why not? 
And I remember thinking, I'll, it'll probably be horrible, but it's free, and I, I'll get to play guitar, and that's all I like doing. So, I can I can play in my bedroom, or I can play with some other musicians. Sure. Do you know what? I'll just go for it. Phone them up. They said we've got space. We need bass players, which is cool. the yeah. story of life. <laughs> <laughs> so great. So a week later, I turned up to this course had an absolute blast it was incredible i have so much time for the princess trust and what they do it is they've come up on this before as well podcast. Yeah, 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 so, inspirational uh, i ended up becoming a, a mentor for the princess trust later on a few years later when they asked me i was like i just remember saying i will do whatever you want me to do i'm in you don't have to explain it sign me up yeah. tell me what to do i'm in because i just but they're amazing anyway so i met these just same as me just a bunch of just vagabond musicians just <laughs> just not having a clue what we're all doing um but one of the teachers who is this very <laughs> slightly aggressive crazy scottish guy um who i ended up becoming a very good friend of mine all my life but he he was just a brilliant teacher just a really lovely guy and he just went you you need to go to this school in guildford so I went and he said, I'm teaching there. And I, at this point, I was like, well, if you're teaching there, I'm, I'm, I'm sold on you. Mm, you're amazing. Yeah, He's like yeah. a great player, great guy. But what he, what he had was, and this is one thing I really learned as well, is is mentors are so important. Yeah. And he was, I just, I just thought, I want to be around you. I feel like I can learn from you. And I love learning. So I was like, I want to learn from you. Anyway, I turned up to this college, met a bunch of inspirational people but one of them in particular who then went on to become my business partner when we started BIM is um, that Bruce? Bruce yeah uh, I met Bruce the other week I was going to say that yeah so yeah. He's, he's I mean he is the most inspirational person in my life he has been not only a business partner but he was my mentor when I was 19 and I remember when I started the course I remember still being you know big headed egotistical <coughs> musician guy and then he squashed that week one like I was literally sat there and I was thinking have you seen me play do you know, yeah, do you yeah. know who I should be you should be talking to my mum yeah exactly. <laughs> and I remember we were talking about something and he brought up I think Oasis Oasis was the band at the time and I was like god I rubbish and he, he just went why are they rubbish and I said oh, I can't play and he went what's that got to do anything? and I was like um, but they're, they're not technically skilled mm. players and he was like they sold more records than you buy about 12 million yeah and i was like yeah but anyone buys anything and he was like you know you should know better than that that people don't buy anything mm. because the fact that you've been through this and people didn't buy it and they've got to do something and people do buy it it's not about whether you like it it's what can you learn from it and so you should respect it i'm gonna i'm gonna try and um pull apart what mm. you just described because i think it's a really interesting point that so what what i think you just said is that to this point in life you are looking at the world through a lens mm. and that lens says things like uh, um, if you are for music if you want to enjoy music you need to you, the, then those musicians need to be accomplished music, musicians technically um, competent, technically yeah, competent and, and, uh, and you're framing that around your ability to play and what you've experienced and all the rest of it and what Bruce showed you is a different lens yeah. and he had this other lens that says actually uh how do people connect with the music what's exactly. the experience that they have with that music and what does that lead them towards in the world and and, and, and actually there was something about bruce as the mentor role yeah. in that capacity that meant that n not only could you look through that lens for a minute but you could actually replace your lens with Absolutely. another one 
Yeah, and this word sort of consumption, which now I use on a daily basis, mm. it's like it's consumption. What what do people want? What are people after? How do how do they consume things? If you can find that bit out, then you're you're on a winner effectively. Yeah, and I, and I think <clears throat> th- th- this whole point that we we've used over the year or so we've been doing this a number of different words to describe this. Lenses is one, mm. and Bruce was looking. What's Bruce's surname? Dickinson. Bruce Dickinson, right? Not I've, that Bruce. I've, I've, I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> So he, he was looking through and he, he had a number of lenses at his disposal uh, and was getting a, a clearer picture because he was looking through a, a n- number of them. But we also talk about them in terms of values. Yeah. You know, what we think is important. And you were valuing highly technical competence. Absolutely. Right? Um, yeah. And you thought that was important. So I just think, I think for, for, our, for us, certainly me and Neil, probably you and those people listening, it's it's worth sort of just thinking about these things what do you value what yeah. do you think is important and and maybe sometimes just having a little bit of doubt that that's that it, is the most absolutely yeah. important being, being thing. prepared to look through another lens and then yeah. wonder whether that lens actually well, might and, serve you better and also when we um spoke to um bruce another bruce yeah daisley uh, twitter he, he was talking about uh, you were talking about another currency you know, that's right, and, and, yeah. and so that's another word we've used, but yeah. it all means the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. It's what you value, what Absolutely. you think is important, and, and sometimes removing, you know, removing the these kind of weird sort of um, ideals, and because when you're a kid, you make things up. You go, oh, Justin Bieber's on it. Oh, that's not music. No. That's because he's pretty. Yeah, and then and no one says, wait, you, hang on, wait a minute, who told you that? Yeah, <laughs> you go. Uh, he's not talented, is he? No one says, yes. They go, no, no, it's because... And then you start going, yeah, but people buy anything, don't they? No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes, there is a certain kind of mentality of sheep, but you but you can't just make rubbish and then expect the entire world to... No, you have to buy into something But, 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 the, but the good thing that you did was that you, you had enough doubt in your own um, value system yeah. to listen. Yeah. I well, think and to be an, an, another way we've talked about this before is the role that stories play. So that's that what you just described of um, taking on those stories, that the story of Justin Bieber and, and therefore what that means of the music industry and, and that lots and lots of stories form narrative and that you can't you live with that. It drives yeah. you or, it, you know, it de- definitely affects the way that you um, live your life. Yeah. And the only way to get something different is to is to swap those stories yeah. and change that narrative. Absolutely. But you, sometimes you have to swap the stories before taking action. And I think that's part of, you know, sometimes the role of a mentor and what Bruce was doing in that capacity that's was right. helping you swap those some of those stories out. And it's very important when you've got that mentor. And I personally, I mean, I this is... This was what I, you know, going back into the BIM thing of what me and Bruce created, but all I wanted to do every day was that bit, sit with musicians and talk about their career because, you know, people say, oh, I'm all about, I'm all about, all about giving back. I wasn't. I loved it. This is about me. Mm. <laughs> I'm selfish. Mm. I'm sitting with these musicians and I'm coming up with strategies and I'm watching them do stuff. You know, yeah, it's helping them, but I'm like, I'm loving this. This is about me doing mm. this. I mm. enjoy it. It just happens that they get something out of it. 
But that narrative and, and how you mentor someone, if you can ask them questions rather than tell them things. So all of a sudden they start questioning and going, oh, that's quite interesting the way you think like that. So in which case, how do you explain this? And then they come up with these narratives and ideas that they've their brain has created as excuses to why it has worked for someone else and hasn't worked for them to be able to question and go, that's very interesting, but how does this work? Yeah. And you start seeing people going, oh, I sound like an idiot, don't I? That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't work like that. So I think that's what Bruce did so well, this very A&R approach of just asking me questions and letting me tie myself up in knots. That's quite interesting. He's, he's worth $250 million and he's sold this many albums and he's had a comeback and he's done this, that and the other. And it's quite interesting that you think like that. And y you start going, yeah, I do. That, that doesn't, yeah, that, that is a bit silly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, the stories that I have myself mm. don't really check out. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and you start saying, especially when you said, where did you learn that? And you go, I didn't, I just, well, I watched. So I just watched and I'm clever enough to figure it out. And then <laughs> you realize, actually, I, I've just made this stuff up a lot of the time because we do. That's the problem. And, you know, we talk a lot about what holds us back. And it's because of a lot of fear is the big motivator and holding us back. Um, but where does the fear come from? Normally, it's we stuff we just make up. That's right. Our whole brain right. is making all of this stuff up from probably from prehistoric man of like mm. if i leave the cave the dinosaur will come yeah which is good the dinosaur's not there anymore no, no and we're no, still going right. but the dinosaur's that's coming. exactly well, that, that, yeah. so that's our reptile brain yeah what, what i call the dragon brain you right. know the thing that's scaring you yeah you know for no re good reason you're not gonna die yeah absolutely it's crazy isn't it so so uh you found bruce and you're at the princess trust yeah and and, and that it sounded like that was leading towards you um actually going and studying there is that right yeah so i met the the guy i met was called you and he was a scottish guy he said go and check out this place <coughs> i walked in and instantly i recognized the fact that these people were there for me they weren't there for themselves they they were there to, to create an environment to say i know how this works i can help you instantly from all the other places i'd i'd looked at instantly i was like i'm in i've sold these people want to help me and i and i want to listen to them yeah I, I, you know i have a huge thing you know respect for me is is so important and when someone's achieved something that i haven't i see it as shut up and listen my job's to shut up and listen because i can learn from you mm -hmm. and so that's how i felt every day i would walk in and and i would do it and then the sliding moment sliding doors moment of this bit is um there were two base teachers so I was turning up to college. So I'd moved now from Swansea to Guildford. Nothing had really happened. I started college. And after about two months of this course, there was two base teachers and one of them decided he wanted to go snowboarding forever and just left. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, brilliant. And there was one base teacher left. This lovely guy called Paul, inspirational base teacher, best base teacher I've ever had, lovely guy. Uh, he was commuting from up north and he'd gone up north and got snowed in because it was Christmas because he started in September, October. It was getting close to Christmas. He got snowed in. So all all the, all of us bass players were in the room. There's six, six of us on the course. All good friends at this point. And we were waiting and Paul didn't turn up to class. And we were like, hmm. And then the guy who owned the college opened the door. We were like, uh-oh, what's happened? What have we done? What's happened? And he said, I'm really sorry, guys. Paul's got snowed in. He can't come today and I can't find anyone to come and take the class. You might as well all go home. Mm -hmm. And we all looked at each other and we're like, we don't want to go home. This is, we just, we want to play. We yeah. want to do things. So we were kind of chatted for a few minutes. Do you think that happens with mass classes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and I remember, I remember thinking, oh, I don't, 
so I just said, well, shall I go and ask if we can stay? And, and one of the guys just said, you can take this class. And I was like, wow. I, I don't feel comfortable with t- taking the class, but I said, I, I, I will, I'll be able to take us through the curriculum. So I went downstairs and I saw the, the guy who owned it, Phil, and I just said, look, we, we, we don't want to, is it okay if we stay? And I can, I can not teach, but I can take the class and get us through the curriculum. And he said, he, he, he just went, do, do what you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Crack Why on, ask him? it's a yeah. room, just do what you want. <laughs> anyway, so um, the next three or four days, every day we'd turn up and I would literally open, you know, open the book. I'd do a bit of research on what we were doing the day before and then take the class. Um, and then in my head, it was just, we were just doing the course and I was just helping out. And then after a week or so, Paul came back. I was imagining Paul just getting more and more filled in with the snow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, and I got uh, just a you know a call in to, to with Bruce and Phil, and I was thinking, oh, I've done something terrible. I've done something wrong. Mm. Um, and they said, every time we walk past, you're at the front taking the class. And I was like, yeah. I had the book. Yeah, I had the book. Um, and he was like, do you fancy doing some bass teaching? And I was like, oh do i yeah that'd be amazing so we've got these evening courses and paul can't manage everything and the evening courses are kind of hobbyists beginners starter (coughs) how do you fancy teaching that i was like oh my god that's amazing i'd love to it'd be amazing so my job then became teaching just four hours a week for these hobbyists so we were like the not we weren't degree but we were the full-time students and the part-time were hobbyists so we did one term and i taught these there was only three students on the entire base course night and and i just loved it i loved them and i loved it we got to the end of term and you only signed up for one term and what was really interesting was we got to the end of the term and i said are you, are you all coming back next term and one of them said i can't because i've got my GCSEs coming up my mum says I have to take a term off and one of them says I'm moving so I can't get here so I can't and one of them said yeah I'm coming back again and I panicked because I was like three people are doing the course mm-hmm. one person's going to come back and, and I'm sure they won't let me teach one person so I was like right so I went to the local guitar shop and I started finding bass players and talking about this course and being like you should come and do it it's going to be great and anyway so the next term started and there was like 10 bass bass players in the room so I was teaching the class and then um, I got another come downstairs and I was like oh no what have I done oh, <laughs> wrong. so and I knew it was because I'd obviously just gone and sold these courses and I was thinking they're going to tell me off I've just gone to Anderton's I found these bass players so I kind of went in and Phil was like y- you had three bass students and you've now got 10 and I was like let me explain uh, I was like honestly two of them left I didn't want I didn't want to, it to be my responsibility to have I didn't want you to sack me so I went and found a bunch of bass students and he went no you're not in trouble this is brilliant so I was like oh, okay well that's good and he was like can you do what you've done to the bass school can you do it for all of the other instruments and in my head I was like I don't know Yeah. but I went with of course I can. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and that's how I ended up with a job, just teaching. And then from there, over the next sort of three, <coughs> three years, I went from just doing a little bit of bass teaching to managing. I was one of the, the, the four managers, which happened to be the guy I met on the Princess Trust oh, was wow. Bruce, yeah. myself, and then uh, a lady who worked there as well. And we were the four people who kind of basically managed the entire college and you're in your early 20s at this point i was 21 at this point yeah 21 when this happened so it's almost the perfect job yeah it was every day i would turn up and 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 every day i would turn up and just think this is the best thing i've ever done it's crazy right up until the point 
and here's probably the biggest sliding doors moment of everything. Right up until the point where I was just coming in, we didn't own the college, so we didn't have any say. There was no money because the money was being siphoned off, mm -hmm. and we didn't have enough money to give the best course we could, and it was getting frustrating, and the college was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And one day I went to work, and Bruce just sat me down, and he said, I'm leaving. And I was like, it was like someone had died. I was like, I'm, you can't. You can't. I, this is the greatest job of my life. I can't think of anything I'd rather do than this. I know it's frustrating, but at the same point, I love it here. This is like a family. He said, I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't like this. I'm going to leave. I was like, well, what are you going to do? And he said, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what are we gonna do? I said, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. And this kind of went on for a couple of weeks. And I was thinking, I'm not ready to not have you as my mentor. Mm. I, I'm not finished. I'm not ready yet. I'm learning so much. You can't, you can't leave. Anyway, so there was this moment, and this was like the defining moment of my life. We were walking to the car park one day, and I was in like grumpy teenager mood because we'd just been talking about it and on the way, and we just got to the cars, and I just, I don't know where this came from. I was 22 at this point, and I just turned to him and I went, I'm coming with you. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, what? And I went, I'm going to come with you. And he went, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm coming well, with it's you. it's me and you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he went, well, I might move back to Scarborough. And I was like, well, that's not ideal, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm still coming with you. And so he went, okay, uh, uh, all right. Anyway, got in my car thinking, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to quit my job at ACM and I'm, I'm going to go with Bruce whatever he's going to do and if he just went well, I'm going to get a job as an estate agent I'd be like okay <laughs> here we are then <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the next day he went look I, I've got this thought about doing another college is that something we should talk about and in my head I was like I don't care what it is I'm, and I did say to him when I said I'm coming with you he said I don't know what I'm going to do I remember saying I don't care I'll clean the floors I'll fix things I'll be handyman I'll be a driver I don't care what it is I'm, I'm not finished learning so if I can learn the rest of it from you, then I'll go and figure out my rest of my bit. How, how old was Bruce at this point? Uh, he was 10 years older. So I would have been 22 and he would have been 32, yeah. 33, something like that. Um, and I think that his face summed it up where he was looking at me like, are you mad? Like, What, <laughs> do, you, what do you mean you're coming with me? Uh, just as a I would have. Slight, slight tangent. Have you considered since this, because uh, obviously we know what happens next, but we'll get there in a minute. Um, the gift that you gave him. Yeah, no. I was just thinking. Yeah, that. I was just thinking. Yeah. You haven't considered. Oh, no, this is really was. interesting, right? Yeah. So he, I thought you were going to say that he had arrived at a point where he realised that he could do a better job setting up his own thing. Yeah, and so actually at that point he's he's taking you along as a component part of his world and his story, but it sounds like he'd actually just come to a natural end mm. with something that wasn't serving him anymore but didn't know what the future was for him yeah and um there's something about the role that you were able to play at that point where you probably gave him confidence meaning right like you know there was some yeah so, so something about belief what, yeah something yeah, about faith. his ability yeah. Faith. Yeah. Faith. Yeah. because you believed in him yeah and you would have been saying yes a lot to yeah. things that he yeah. might not have been so confident about yeah. but you but, but you saying yes and you being there on the journey is one of those thousand yeah. two fans, you yeah, know, yeah. literally being yeah. there next True. to him, you know. It's crazy. But yeah, so then we sort of talked about it and came up with these ideas and all of a sudden, um, sort of that's where BIM was kind of the, the concept of it. And there was um, his old manager um, and another guy who, who at the beginning who didn't make it and then and we got, um, we got another 
lady in and so it was the four of us who, who then came up with this idea of it's going to be in brighton uh, again everything at the time uh, so i was 23 i was the youngest by a so do you want to say what bim stands for so bim was at the time the brighton institute of modern music so it was a music college which now is the british and irish institute of modern music so um it's convenient yeah <laughs> so uh so it started um w- where we were thinking about where it's going to be, where it be up north, would it be down south? And then this idea of Brighton came up. N- I've never been to Brighton in my life. It was just, but at the same point, if Bruce had said we're moving to another country, I would have said, yep. If he'd have said we're moving up north, I would have said, yep. I would have figured out whatever it was going to be. He said Brighton. I said, Brighton's fine. I didn't even think about that's good or bad. You know, I'm from Swansea. At this point, I lived in Swansea and Guildford. Mm-hmm. So came to Brighton and walked around and I was like, I don't care. Like I don't mind. You you just tell me where, and and this is where we will build it. Um, but I remember walking around Brighton and thinking oh, it was really nice, and it's by the sea. And I'm from Swansea, which is by the sea, so I really like that. Uh, and then that was it. So I was still kind of finishing off my my sort of job at ACM. So we had this thing where we were working in the ACM in the day, and then kind of like planning things in the evening at night. And again, this goes back to the work ethic and 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 the, and the not a holiday because it was not a holiday. The idea of working eighteen-hour days, whilst was tiring, didn't phase me at mm. all because it was so much fun. And you get to the end of the day, and it's like now we get to go and drive from Guildford to Brighton to go and do a whole day's work before driving from Brighton back to Guildford to go to sleep for four or five hours to wake up and do it again. And so, and that, and then I moved just down, sort of halfway between Guildford and um, and Brighton to a little village called Stenning. <laughs> uh, it's a nice village. It's really nice, it's lovely. It? Uh, and I was the first to move, and Bruce was still finishing some stuff. So effectively, that became the hub in of BIM. Did was it? My wow. living room. We didn't have any money at the time, so we actually got a, a charity gave us a computer. So like BIM, obviously quite a big place now, but at the time they gave us a computer, which then went, came to our uh, my dining room. Kev had a table, so we put that in. Uh, he was one of the other directors. He gave, he gave us a table, so we had a table and a computer, and we had one member of staff who actually is still still there now. Wow, that was two thousand and one, um, and she came to my house every single day, and um, I remember thinking, I don't know what we have to do to build a business, but we're gonna figure it out. And every day was figuring it out and. Um, and give us the, the, the idea of the business was, it sounds like it was broadly a lot of what you'd experienced and learned yeah. at so the college. So effectively it was, this is, the, the, there was, I had one idea, which was this is going to be the best music college in the world. I didn't care about size. I didn't care about anything. This was just going to be one word, best. It had to be the best. And we come. We were a bit jaded because this, the college that we'd built had gone from 44 students to about 800 students, and we thought that was too many. So we said we were going to stop at 300 mm. because that was the right thing to do. Um, and it was all about being the best. How do we give the best education? How do we churn out the best musicians? How do we give people something that when they leave, they are so... If, if they can't do it after that, it's more on them than it is on us. Mm. We're just going to give everything. And I believe that for the first three years of, of BIM, I, I really feel like we did that. And we had 20... I think it was 24 top 40 hits, hits in did the you? first three years. Yeah. Uh, wow. are there, what, just for the people listening, are there names that people would recognize? Yeah, so the Kooks were formed at BIM. Yeah, right. Oh, wow. um, then there was quite a few bands that um, that sort of came and went. Bands like Speedway, The Faders, uh, Beth Rowley, metal bands like Ghost of a Thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite a few sort of bands that would come along. People that played on other people's hits as well. And there was I remember there's one class where we had you'd walk in the front door and there'd be like a, a glass window to one of the classrooms. And I was showing someone around and I was like, "Oh, this." 
this guy's on tour with um, with Beyonce at the moment, and 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 then uh, there's another one. There's this these two guys are in the charts with a band called Speedway and doing a cover of a Christian Aguilera song. And I was going through everyone, and they went, "Oh, these are the teachers," and I was like, "No, no, these are the students." Wow, uh, amazing! And yeah. I was yeah. like, "Teachers are these guys over here," and I remember thinking, "We've really created something s so special," yeah. and that was the whole point. It was, it, it was all about being the best. What can I do that makes this the best? Um, but at the same point, it was only a few tweaks away from what we'd come from. It mm. wasn't like we had to reinvent the wheel. No, sure, we, had, sure. we just looked at something and went, this could be better. How do we make it better? Mm. And that was it. And it formed and... And, and it how grew. did you make it better? Um, mentoring. It was okay. all about mentoring. And I think when something gets bigger, as it is, I mean, it's, it's now... I, I don't own it, but it's, it's now nearly six and a half thousand students. And I have a real problem with it because of... I remember the moment where I fell out of love with mm. him was I was every year we'd have new students and I knew every student's name, like mm. every student. And so every year on the first day, the induction day, we got them to hold an orange card with their names on it. And I'd have them on my computer and I would sit with my space bar. Every single space bar would take the next picture and I'd be learning their names, just their first names. So when they walked up to me, I'd go, all right, James, because I felt like that is mm, that's one the first to point one, of connection. First point yeah. of connection. And uh, anyway, so it was like seven or eight years into BIM and, and this this kid walked up to me and started talking to me like I was his best mate. And I was thinking, oh my God, who are you? How, yeah. how, how, how many students at this point? Uh, at this point, there was probably about 1,500-ish. Wow. So well, and you still knew most people's names? Uh, well, no, at this point I didn't, So because right. it had gone. So when, when do you think, when was the tipping point? Yeah. The year before. Was it? Yeah, well, I pr there was probably a, a thousand students and I was probably good. I was probably good for a thousand students just sitting wow. there. It took me three weeks to learn them all. Yeah. And obviously I get some wrong, but on the whole, I was like, I'm really getting the hang of the names within the first three weeks. Next year, this kid walked up and I just was like, who are you? And Do you, do you remember going past that waypoint of 300 and how that made you feel? Yeah, I, I, it didn't bother me at the time because there's a lot of politics in education where what you want to do versus what you ha can yeah. and have to do. So um, all of a sudden, when you set something up and you say this idea of 300 is the is the that's the benchmark, and then of course you just go, oh, actually we've just realised that we need a better building and mm. that costs more money mm. and we can't afford it, so yes. we need a few more students. And then you're dealing with external education sources. I remember one of the things was. Um, there was a, a thing called a level four qualification, which was like a, a, a one-year BTEC sort of thing. And they said, we're scrapping it and doing a two-year. So all of a sudden, uh, as they roll over, you've got twice as many students just on that one course. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, that's not a problem. And they said, we're only going to give you the funding if you take on level two, which is 16-year-olds. I was thinking, well, we, we have to. We don't have a choice because we can't not have the level four. We don't have a college. So effectively then, you've just, you've just literally within that conversation that they've just just had over half an hour, you've just added 150 students because they've said you have to mm. and then at that point you say do you know what we need a bigger building mm. <laughs> and mm. it goes round and round yeah, yeah. and then more teachers and so the these are mbqs thing. were they yeah, yeah. A, a mixture of different qualifications right the way through to ma level mm. um but it was quite interesting because you don't think about those things no, when you right. build things you just think i want to make it the best you don't think about external politics or or the funding or the finance or oh i've just realized we've only got an accountant we don't have a financial controller mm. or financial managers we've got <coughs> all of those so, things so I'm just interested in best. Yeah. Does that, in order to be the best, did you have to constrain the size? Yeah, yes. 
definitely 100 yeah, okay yeah i and think do, and, you, and do you think that your school i'm just thinking back to your school that you went to which yeah. is 120 oh yeah, of course. yeah students yeah. Yeah. and that was small yeah and do you think that had any yeah possibly influence? i haven't thought I about it but yeah very possibly maybe I, I just feel like when you can when you can like for me we're sitting here in a, in a lovely surrounding with a cup of tea that was it for me. Mm. It's like, you can't do that with 6,000 students, no. but I can do that with 300. Mm. I can sit with them every day. I knew, I, I didn't just know their name, by the way. I knew where they lived. I knew some of their family members. Mm. I knew what band they were in. I, you know, I yeah. could just sit there and go, you don't have to bring me up to date. I, we, you know, we're friends mm. with this. Uh, and it, you can put different things in as something gets bigger. You can put different systems in. You can say, oh, well, now we've got more money and better facilities. Facilities is a seller. And I know because yeah. I was the sales guy. Mm, so when it yeah. came to the four of us, my role was marketing and sales. That was the big bit. How we are going to get people on board. And so with that in mind, when you're showing someone around a, a, a big building with drum kits and guitar amps and stuff, you just go, yeah, I can sell this. The problem is, is that doesn't make a great course. No, I understand. Yeah. So it's this, there's this inherent tension around how you build something that's the best within the systems that support the entity. Absolutely. And the, kind of the way it's funded and all the rest of it. Yeah. So seven or eight years in, which is interesting as well. You know about the seven-year human cycle? Yeah, right? which yeah. is very so interesting. Always, this always comes up. It's, mm. it's true. It's really true, unless I'm looking for it. Um, well, that guy at the shampoo factory, maybe he was just <laughs> yeah, ready right. to leave. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was just about to go <laughs> yeah. and set up a music He was just college. about to go. <laughs> um, so you get to your seven, eight years, um, and you, it sounds like maybe you have already achieved the dream. So you made the best, it sounds like, in your head. It was definitely the best for you because when you told us about taking people around and being able to tell those stories, it sounded like in that moment, maybe you're already there. Maybe you, you kind maybe, of yeah. reached it. But what happens next? Like how how did the that evolution go? Into- I was, I, so how it went was it, it, I started getting very jaded about mm. where we were at. We'd now opened up in Bristol and we we're, we're opening up in Manchester. Uh, I was getting very jaded with what we wanted to achieve at the beginning versus where we were. I was falling out with with the other directors, uh, and you know, still the baby of the group. So at this point, I was thirty, and Kev was fifty, and Bruce was forty, mm. and you know, and I, I I didn't handle myself as well as I could because I was probably throwing my toys out of the pram instead of saying, well, what are we going to do about it? Mm. And so it just got to a point where it was like it was very clear that it wasn't <coughs> working out, and so I said guys it's fine I'll leave I get it it's not going to work and I remember it was the same thing it was my life seems to come back to the factory moment I remember going it's fine I'll leave getting in my car driving home opening the door and and just saying it's it it's done it's finished it's over and then having that I'm 30 what am I going to do for the rest of my life yeah here we go again yeah. And I remember walking upstairs. There was a there was a box of just stuff that hadn't been opened. And I remember si- grabbing a stool. Didn't have a desk. I just put the stool next to the box. I put a piece of paper, a pad of paper, on the box, Ooh. and I wrote at the top of it, "What am I going to do for the rest of my life?" That's the title <laughs> I wrote. What am I going to do for the have rest you still of got my that life? Piece of paper. I haven't. No, it's oh, a shame. It was just scribbled with like, "What can I do?" And I was, th- I just wrote anything that songwriting and. And I'd never thought about being a business person. I was never a Did you feel like that at this point? So a business person? Yeah. No, I didn't. I guess a question within that. Well, I want to come back to that piece of paper. But uh, BIM, it sounds like BIM was successful at this yeah. point. And you could define success in lots of different ways, but it sounds like it probably meets most of the yeah. considerations around what success is. So from where you were when you last faced this question to where you are now facing this question, 
it's I'm I'm hoping that there's a different level of kind of confidence and ability in yeah. you and also you've probably got a foundation as well that you can build upon weirdly enough at the time the opposite so I felt like I'd failed did you yeah so it I mean Bim was at the time worth 15 million quid um, there was 2 million quid in the bank I knew I knew in selling my part of it I knew I was going to be a millionaire and I mm. knew I was going to be set although I hadn't got it so there was always that worry of it it took me a year or nearly a year to sell it I felt like I'd failed. I remember going home thinking, right, failed again. What's next? So because I didn't achieve what I wanted, I dipped into it and went, I think we really achieved something for a while. And then we dipped out of it Mm. and then it failed. Back Mm. to the record label. I really really dipped into something really good. (laughs) Oh, it's gone. (laughs) So when when was the first moment you managed to look back at what you'd achieved and think, we did something there. I achieved something. Because presumably that came at some point. Yeah, I mean, I still, I still feel like, for all intents and purposes, it was more, um, for me, more fa- more failure than interesting than success. That's really interesting because yeah. I didn't, I didn't get the longevity out of mm. it, and I don't care about owning it. I don't care about the money. I care about the fact that I don't believe in it anymore. I don't mm. believe that, um, you know, I'll get because of because of my social media presence I get musicians all the time should I where should I study and I'm like oh god this is a really awkward question <laughs> yeah because people go but you built it and I go I know but I'm allowed to have my personal feelings of of what I wanted it to be and I, you know, I'm not saying it's bad I just it's not what I wanted it to be yeah. or what I think and it, it, it can never be what you want it to yeah. be in anymore Absolutely. yeah and um, so I think there's this you know there's I can recognize the the silliness of, of saying I feel like I failed on something which is now worth 75, 80 million pounds yeah. and it's, you know, I got asked to go and do a talk at Berkeley College of Music which was like, when I was a kid I was, Berkeley College of Music is like that's insane and I'm standing there thinking this is ridiculous and I did the talk and they were like, oh you built this and you did this and I was thinking same thing, it's just another college, it's just in America mm. But I remember I can I can definitely see the value in it, and I you know I use it every day. I use the experience of it. I, I use the fact that you know not only have I got the confidence, but I remember at the time, which is quite an interesting question. I remember all of my confidence had gone because not only had I walked out and I felt like I'd failed, mm. but also at that point my brain started really playing tricks. Yeah, I'm the kid. I've been. I ha, I went to Bruce and I said I'm coming with you, and he took me for that ride, yeah. and he said, "Okay, jump in. I'll take you with me." And now I'm out, and now I'm alone, and I'm on my own. And what if I did nothing? What What if I brought nothing to the table? What What if the and over the nine months of so what if you'd business, been on his coattails? Is what you were? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the lawyers as well is over the nine months of selling a business. Yeah, they try and. <laughs> Oh, make you feel as though you yeah, did nothing yeah. yeah you did nothing yeah, yeah how can you possibly expect this much money when yeah. it's like well i just expect my 25 percent. yeah but you know and and it does get to you mm. where you start thinking you know that there's there's an entire corporation with two million quid in the bank and i'm sat in stenning yeah. <laughs> just thinking plus a computer and a table yeah. <laughs> and i'm thinking uh, maybe they're right mm, maybe yeah. maybe but it, i do recognize that what we did really well was we had just through absolute sheer luck the team that we had when we started it was the perfect team mm. you know when you you yeah. can't have a team of goalkeepers you have to have every aspect of yeah, it yeah, yeah. and i think sometimes you put teams together and it's strategical and sometimes you just went that was lucky yeah just the yeah. right 
the right place, the right people. The but right you probably team. knew in 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 the back I mean, of your mind that I you had different. Didn't, but that you had, well, yeah. But between we, you, I think we also probably formed that team as well. I I kind of recognised I was the I was the energy. I was the baby. I was the yeah. enthusiasm. I was the I'm going to make this happen. And, well, and, and it sounds else. as though you had a little bit of naivety as well. Which is oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, but which is really so, really so, valuable. Yeah. Every time this comes up all the time as well in these conversations, the role that luck plays. Yeah, to varying degrees, and I, it's always a trigger for Ray and I every time we hear the word luck it's like okay there's something in that but to the point that you're discussing uh there are so many facets so you made your own luck like it's almost certain that that's what happened it's just you don't know how you made your own luck but it was something about the state that you were all in and the mindset that you were in so in particular if you think about the role uh the relationship between you and bruce yeah uh you you followed him because you trusted him as your mentor like you don't know what's going to happen there's some luck happening there yeah and actually, the gift that you gave him, which you didn't recognise, there's some luck happening there as well. Yeah, and yeah. suddenly, the luck is just spreading. Yeah. Because other people start to see that energy, yeah, and absolutely. other people hear the stories of what you created, and they see a vision for the future that looks better. And but I think, in especially in business today, where purpose is the overused term, but there is, if you pull it apart and go, what 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 are, what are people actually talking about when they're mm. talking about purpose and values and all that stuff? I think really what they're talking about is this. They're yeah. talking about what unifies a group of people that otherwise would be running in different directions to go in the same direction. Yeah. I think that's really what it's about. Yeah, you're and right. sometimes you get that because a group of people want to make some money and they've got complementary skills, but a lot less often than not, it's not that. Yeah. It's actually that a load of people see a future that doesn't exist yet yeah. and they like the idea of that future and there's enough overlap in what that future looks like. Yeah, and it's a passion it, about the product, yeah. a genuine passion about the product. And then, and then you start creating luck yeah. because you know you put that energy out there and, and people receive it. Well, if they see that future and they're excited by it as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent. No, there, but that, and that was the thing. So all of a sudden I was back in that moment again. Well, yeah. Just like, what yeah. am I going to do? And I never once thought, well, I've got money. I mean, I remember... So how long ago was this? This was 10 years ago. So this would have been 2009, just when the recession hit as well. So 2009, uh, 10 years ago. I remember thinking... Did you you have money in the bank at that point? um, I had... Not, I mean, I was about to get a bunch of money because yeah, I was but about you to didn't sell know it. when that was going to come. No, so I didn't know. I didn't know if, when, or how that was yeah. going to come. I just, I just thought, well, you know, I had a, 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 my lawyer who actually was um, Chukaraman of the Labour MP, who was actually my lawyer at the time, <laughs> which was great. And yeah, I see him on TV. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I know him. Uh, and he was like, you know, this is these are all the scenarios. This is the outcomes. And so I was like. I trust you. What you don't realize is obviously lawyers like fighting each other. And, mm. um, but weird enough, we, we came to an amicable, amicable decision and that was fine. And then, yeah, but I remember being back home thinking, what am I going to do? And I remember thinking, do I retire now? Because the confidence dro- dropped of, mm. you know, I did not leave and just thinking, it was like my band had split up. You know, the boy band split up and you always go, that one's going to be the star. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, in my head, I was like, yeah, but I'm not that one. Mm. I'm not Harry Styles. Mm. I'm not the Gary Barlow. Mm. You know, I'm Jason Orange. <laughs> 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 no offense, Jason. <laughs> but I remember thinking that and just being like, I'm not the guy to go on my own. I'm the young one. I'm... But then I, at that point, I remember thinking what I wanted to do and I did what any musician does at that moment, which is I turned to music. So I looked in the corner and my guitar, the, my battered guitar was in the corner and I just looked at it and I just thought, you, you won't leave me. No. My, so I picked up the guitar. I started playing whilst I was writing stuff down. I was thinking of all these crazy ideas that I could do. And I just thought, first things first, 
I need to start a band because at least that way I can just stop thinking about legal fees. Every time I picked up the phone to my lawyer, it was costing me like three or 400 quid mm -hmm. just to say hello. And I was like, so I don't want to pick up the phone. <laughs> uh, so it was a case. So I phoned um, my brother-in-law at the time, who's a, who's a musician. And, um, and he was going through some times with, with his, he was just about to get a divorce. And I said, we'll do something together. It's going to be great. We're going to start a band. <laughs> take over the world <laughs> uh, and so we started this band just to literally just to get into a rehearsal room and shut away the world and just go I can just play music mm. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life but I'm going to play music and we were just having a lot of fun and we just thought we could just go and do some gigs have some fun and we just tapped in just covers just from fun we tapped into this market accidentally where the recession had hit and everyone was getting married and everyone was having these big parties with very expensive bands. The recession hit and everyone went, haven't got any money. And also fashion just changed overnight because because they didn't have any money. Mm. And they went from these kind of very large, lavish, female fronted corporate style bands through to three guys. And, and, I, and we accidentally, again, make your own luck, mm. but we accidentally just thought well let's just do it with the three of us and do you know the weird thing is we made a three-piece band because um we didn't like singers because <laughs> they're hard work and we were like oh if we didn't have to have a singer it'd be great wouldn't it and then we went wouldn't it be great if we could sing we couldn't sing so we thought we'll give it a go and see if we could get better so we did and we it was awful yeah but we just thought well, i think we can get better which we did and we started getting some gigs in just some some universities and things it was really fun and we got with an agent and the agent went this is great we can get you loads and loads of gigs and i was like well, i'm free yeah <laughs> so we what started about the other two guys were they um well they were just musicians anyway so oh, they were I see. Okay, right, musicians right, right. but they were struggling with the recession yeah, we started right. getting loads and loads of of gigs and then the agents just went we could i mean we could if you could replicate yourself we could get you 10 times the gigs it's just that once you've got a gig you can't do another one so I just said, oh, I've got time at the moment. If you want me to build some bands for you, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, that's what I do. I, I, I help musicians and build bands. So I, I got some ex-students and some friends, and I put some bands, and I said, no, we've got loads of gigs. Do this. And they just kept falling apart. So I just said, well, look, I'll, I'll manage you. I'll buy the gear, and I'll do that. And then and, and, and I'll make the website, and I'll pay for the pictures, and I'll do the marketing. And, I'll, and I was thinking, I'm doing everything here. Yeah. So there was three, three bands at this point. And every time I took my hands off it, it would fall apart. So I just said, look, I'll, I'll manage it. So I, I hired someone uh, back to the bedroom, hired someone to just come to my house again, sit, sit at the <laughs> table with a computer and just say, look, this is what you need to do. And then, and then, and then it will be fine, which it was. And then that just, just kept growing. They kept coming back. Can we, <coughs> can we have another band? Can we have another band? And all of a sudden, it, it was a business that not only I didn't want to do, it was a business that was like frustrating me that it was growing so fast. And I was like, this is taking up my time. So I kept hiring more people in order to just say, look, just take this away from me, please. And it kept growing and growing and growing. And, you know, now we've got 30 bands. And at some point I remember recognizing it and going, oh, I think this is this is the thing. <laughs> yeah. This is the new thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, so actually the th when you wrote your what what do I do with the rest of my life? Yeah, and then you went and just started playing music. Yeah, it happened to you. It but it, it was probably the right thing. Yes, that it happened was. To you. And if you went out looking for that thing, and you know no the reason, the reason why it was the right thing is because I had lost all confidence. And and the other thing, when you sell a business, is BIM was my business, but it wasn't a business. It was my arm. 
It was mm, like it mm. wasn't something I was involved in. It was me. Yeah, was you identify everything. yourself. Through yeah, it. yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. I, I identified, and it was me. And all of a sudden, I remember. I remember going home, and the phone stopped. Nobody called. No mm. one messaged. No one emailed. Mm. No one texted. You weren't important anymore. No, and not only was I not important, but I was feared because I wasn't. I'd been ostracized, mm. and then linking with me was more dangerous to them. Mm, yeah. So they had the fear of, oh, I don't want to take sides, so therefore I'll keep myself safe. And they were in they yeah. they were in the bin. Which is understandable. Yeah. So I was alone, completely alone, and and lost all confidence. And then what this allowed me to do as basically another company had basically just said, Can you help us? Can you help us? And I kept I kept building. I remember thinking, maybe I can do this. Maybe mm. it's okay. Maybe mm. I can build something. And maybe the experience, maybe I wasn't the lucky one and maybe I, I have got something to give. Um, and, you know, within a couple of years, the amount of confidence that gave me to realize that every single thing that you do, if you sit and go, oh, I'm going to have to edit this video myself, there's a skill that you're learning mm, whilst you're doing it. That's exactly right. It's just a frame of reference. Absolutely, it's another lens, yeah. isn't it? And so it's back to the computer game. Mm. I'm, I'm just going, oh. And, and all of a sudden, I remember thinking, when it comes to things like you know, tax and VAT and hiring people and where to hire people and how much and how to manage mm. people, all of those things, you go, oh, no, I can do that, actually. Mm. I've done that before. Yeah, and <clears throat> I think that process of learning is something that grows your confidence. Mm. Absolutely. And if you've learned before, yeah, you know you're not stupid. You know it might not be the brightest, you know, yeah. but you're not stupid and you can learn stuff. And just that builds, builds your confidence. 100%. And, and what... what what damages your confidence is when you try and avoid learning that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because I've been through periods when I've desperately tried to avoid doing these things because I, d I don't want to do them. Mm. They're not me. And then yeah. as soon as you throw yourself in, it's like, oh, actually. Should have done that. Yeah, yeah, why didn't I do that earlier? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was it. And, and then this weird thing happened where it just kept growing. And then I, it had it become this kind of partnership by default of this agency and we were just I was just building bands and and they'd become friends and they just said oh we're gonna we're gonna unleash release some money out of the business and potentially think about selling up so I was like oh I guess I'll buy that mm -hmm. and then weirdly enough another thing happened where I mean I'm I still own the businesses but again going back to it always comes for me it always comes back to that point of I never mind going back to ground zero mm -hmm. you know if everything stops yeah. it's just like right well the next bit and my mum said something really interesting when I was younger, and she she said it loads of times. I think I always reference which she said, "You got to do it while you can, because at some point you can't." And so I was doing up until a year ago, I was doing three gigs a week all over the country, trying to sort of run and direct businesses. And there's a big difference between doing that when you're 20 mm. and when you do it when you're 40. Mm, yeah. And it's the same thing with professional sport. I think mm. it, it, there's no coincidence that people retire within a year or two That's of right. the same age. Mm. Your body just goes, and you can't do it anymore. Mm, yeah. And it, it was very clear. And I remember, you know, my mum says, you've got, you, you've got to work hard while you can because you won't be able to do the same workload. You might be able to think differently. Mm, you might yeah. be much smarter and, yeah. and, and, and have some smarter. wisdom. But Absolutely. <laughs> but you can't do the physical backbreaking work yeah. You know, every five years that goes past, things change. Mm. And I always stuck with me. So, you know, now, I, now I'm at a point where I'm trying to think smarter and I'm trying not to go back to ground zero because I don't want to do that, but I'm not scared of it. So no. I'm trying. If it happens, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But And um, and then you have these sliding doors moments where, where 
the, the social media thing then as as the businesses grew and my job was directing it um, I just didn't know anything about social media and I was at an age I was at a really weird age as well where I, I wasn't I wasn't too old um, to dismiss things mm-hmm. because I realized that I want to build businesses I'm a big part of startups I'm not going to get brought into some multi-billion pound corporation and I realized that the social media thing that had been growing had gone from just a thing just a department to the thing and I remember thinking I'm not old enough to dismiss this but I'm also not young enough to understand it because you know a lot of the people who work for me they they don't know any other way. Yeah. N- it's never not been in their life. Yeah, they're, na- they're natives. Exactly. It's just they live in it. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, this is really awkward. I, I I've kind of I understand it in the way that I use it, but I'm not using it in the same way as I could be using it. Mm. Um, so I just thought well, I've got to learn. So I start again. So effectively, I made myself a couple of platforms in order to do what I've always done, which is which is make. You know, this was making content to teach musicians, which is the same thing as sitting like this and having a cup of tea with musicians. And the weird thing was, is I wanted to be able to educate so that I could just so I could learn how Facebook, how Instagram, how YouTube worked. And I started making content and then people started coming to me and saying um, and asking questions about social media. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And they were like, no, but you're the social media guy. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not the social media guy. I'm the music guy. Yeah. But I'm using social media. And they kept going more and more questions on social media. And I was thinking, maybe I am the hey, social yeah, media that's what guy. I yeah, maybe, maybe I am. And so that started growing. And then I had an agency phone me up and asked me for to to <coughs> to have a, a chat with them about this social media thing. And I, I remember thinking, why is a social media company phoning me? And then I got asked to do a talk at this convention, and it was like it was in Boston. So I, I flew across to Boston and I did this talk and I realized that everyone in the room was in social media and everyone on the panel was on social media and I wasn't. Mm. I was the only one who didn't own a social media company. I didn't have anything and I was thinking, well, there's something in this. Obviously I know more than I, I realized and it was obviously, it wasn't the social media, that was just a vehicle That's right. for the marketing, mm. the branding, the sales, the customer service, the business It was experience. all the stuff you'd been doing. Exactly. It just manifested. Just, it just went social yeah. media and so yeah. I was in this, this position where I was doing it and I just thought, oh, this is really helpful. So as that started to grow, I just sort of went with it. Um, and now, weirdly enough, social me- this social media thing has just raised its head. Um, but what was really interesting was, I joke, you know, I joke that I'm thick because, <laughs> you know, I've got one GCSE. It took me two years to get. I've got no qualifications. Uh, I don't. The other thing as well is I don't think you need to be smart. I don't think there's this this you need to be smart to be successful. In fact, sometimes it helps not to be mm. very smart because you don't see the fear mm. because it's just passed you by. Mm. If you actually if you if I knew half the dangerous <laughs> things that were out there, I wouldn't even leave the house. Yeah, so yeah. effectively, my brain is just tapped it's out. It's tricking you. Yes, yeah. tricking yeah. me. So um, you know, and then um, I got a phone call. This is brilliant. I got a phone call from this um, publishing company, and they said. Um, publishing company uh, we want to talk to you about writing a book and I was thinking I mean the last book I read was Fantastic Mr. Fox so (laughs) so I was like uh I don't think I'm your guy honestly and they were like no no we'll we'll help you with it do you want to come for a meeting 
and again, you know those times where I, I like to think I'm quite grounded. I, I don't, you know, if really amazing because of the, the Hyde Park story, if really amazing things happen, brilliant. I know there's going to be another thing that's going to dump on me around mm. the corner. And therefore, I try and take the really high things the same way as I take the really low things. You know, the They're other, fleeting. Absolutely. The other day we were yeah. just chatting and, and we, we just had a, 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 one of the tax bills, one of the many tax bills yeah. that we get. And it was just a lot bigger than we expected. And Ed, one, one of the guys, he just looked at me and was like, you don't seem panicked. And I was like, well, that'll be a good thing around the corner. You know, I take it all with a pinch of salt. I call it the game. Yeah. That's part of the game. Yeah. Sometimes in the game, you know, not not in reality, but sometimes in the game, you die yeah. and you have to start again. Sometimes in the game, you just do something fantastic. That's the game. Um, and so this, 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 but when it does happen, so a little bit of ego crept in. I was like, maybe I can write a book. <laughs> in my head, I was like, this is ridiculous. But I went for this meeting and the guy was the oldest guy I've ever seen. This guy was literally as old as the sun. I mean, he <laughs> literally had these little tiny glasses. He looked like a kind of, he looked like a, a Dickens kind of uh, character. And he was sort of peering over and he made me fill out this form. Um, and he's just looking at it and I had to fill out what the book was gonna be. I didn't know, I just made this stuff up. And it's a title and he said, he said, I won't swear or not, but he said... Um, you can swear. I can swear. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. so he said, he said, for the title, you've put fuck plan B. <laughs> and I went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, he went, you can't call it that. And I was like, it was my book. Yeah. <laughs> and he went, it's not your book because we'll be giving you an advance. So, and I was like, oh, well, that's this takes me back to record deal land where mm. I'm not allowed to do all the things I want to do. And I was like, he's like, he's like you, you, you can't call it that because you won't be able to get it in into W.A. Smith. Smith. <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, my book's not going into W.A. Smith. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, but you won't be able to. Anyway, so anyway, I, I remember leaving and just thinking, I didn't want to do a book in the first place. This is ridiculous. And this was in London. <laughs> By the time I got from London back to Brighton, not only had I convinced myself that I am going to do a book, <laughs> just to prove you wrong, I'm going to do a book and I'm not going to do it with you and I'm going to self-publish it and I'll do it myself. And it's going to be called Fuck Plan B. Yes. Yeah, so was, was it called it, that? it wasn't. No, I, in the end, but I convinced myself that probably wasn't okay. a good idea. <laughs> but I, and I, I wrote a book with, with the help of um, a friend of mine who sort of coached me through the whole thing. And I, it was such a good... It was such a good experience because I learned something from doing that, which, again, going about, back about to... About yourself. Yeah, about myself, mm, yeah, yeah. Which is another thing, which is you put these barriers, you put this fear in, and it's just most of the time, it's not just not there like in my head the idea of writing a blog and bruce used to say this you see you, sh you should do the ma you should do that because you'd be great at it mm. and i was always like mate well one gcse i'd always put that barrier yeah you, you should write this i i'm the guy who walks into a bank and they just they they give you the form and just go can you just fill that in and my brain just goes oh no they're gonna yeah. find me out because i'm so stupid at this my brain doesn't work like it it's all from school it's yeah. not it's not true of course i can fill a form in and sign my own name <laughs> but my brain is tricking me going you can't do this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you tried twice at gcse yeah. level you're an idiot yeah. so at that point i was like i'll write a book so we, you know and i remember when the book came out and i knew about marketing and i knew about advertising and i knew how to to sell it i wasn't worried about that bit i was worried about how am i going to write a a book that's crazy but even now I literally I, I saw a mate this weekend who I haven't seen for years and he just looked at me and went 
you wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. I'm as shocked as you. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. But why why can't we do these things? And we spend our lives with this watching watching these inspirational YouTube videos or inspirational people on YouTube going, I just need the inspirational. Just you can you can just do inspirational things. And I have this thing about legacy because I think in social media people are trying to create legacy and be inspirational and they and, and they've seen inspirational quotes so they make their own inspirational quotes and this is yeah. my version of it and i have this thing with legacy which is people want to create legacy around themselves on a grand scale and i think if you want to do that my advice is create legacy on a one-to-one -one basis yeah, that's if, absolutely right if you can go to one person and do something that makes them change kind of not change their life but you've you created that legacy yeah. in one person Mar margaret wheatley talks about this oh really and, and 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 it really landed with me with with what we were doing with do something different yeah, and yeah it's like hang on we're trying to change the world why don't we just try and change a few lives absolutely yeah you know just the yeah. people closest to us in our in our in our community and, that, and that's completely achievable and that's right, exactly yeah. yeah and you don't beat it's, yourself up because you you can do it that's right and so, then sorry go on don't i was go. gonna say this is a great story so i did this challenge on my youtube where i interviewed uh, 30 uh, 30 skypes in 30 days at uh, 30 bands um so when i was in new york about a year ago there was this i, I was on my own i was like i want to go and see a band I, I, I looked through everything it was all djs and then there was one advert just in the on my phone it just said this band arkells so i checked them out on spotify never heard of them played a couple of songs and was like yeah sounds decent be fun thing to do barry ballrooms watching arkells got there I was like, wow, there's a lot of people here. I've never heard of this band. They were unbelievable. Really, really good life. Fantastic. Anyway, so I left. I um, followed them on their social media. And it was the next week I realized what they were doing, which wasn't just, they were great musicians, great story, great live show. But what they did on social media was amazing. How they looked after their fan base mm -hmm. was very different to anything I'd ever seen before. Um, and what they did live was very different. It was all about looking after people. And I thought it was amazing. Anyway, so followed them they had loads of sort of inspirational social media stories one of the things was um in the winter olympics um there was a mess up where a canadian um had won a gold medal and they didn't have the right anthem so they tweeted the olympics and they said when well, you messed that up if you need someone to come and play the uh, the canadian because they're oh, canada brilliant. Uh, if you need someone to come play the canadian national anthem give us a shout and then air canada has seen it and they basically messaged and done a round thing on Twitter saying, we'll make this happen. Really? And then the, the Olympics team had tweeted and said, well, it's happening. Bring it on. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Air Canada flew this band to Korea, or wherever it was, to, yeah. to, to, to do this national anthem. And the stories they got out of this was incredible. Mm. Didn't, cost, didn't cost them anything at all. Anyway, so I'm on this Skype with this guy and he's in Canada. And I was like, oh, one of my favorite bands is from Canada. So they're called Arkells. And there's a good story about looking after people. And we need to talk about this legacy. And he went, let me stop you there. He's like, I love Arkells. Let me tell you a story about Arkells. And he said, they were coming to my town in Canada. So I tweeted them and I just said, here's me playing guitar to one of your songs. He said, if you need a second guitar. <laughs> Brilliant. In half an hour, they messaged him and they just went, bring your guitar. Right. So they're playing to like, you're looking at 5,000 people. <laughs> bring your guitar. And he's thinking, really <laughs> so takes his guitar the team take him backstage then when it comes to that song 
they bring him on stage and he plays that song to 5,000 uh, people. Oh, okay, Such fantastic. a gift, isn't yeah. it? To everyone. I mean, and, everyone's and getting the, a gift. That's the bit. And, yeah. and for them as well. That, yeah, that's, this is the that thing. It's a lovely, win, win, win. lovely yeah. thing but for them. This yeah. is the best bit. So what, when I was talking, I was like, the best bit about this is not only have they created legacy in you, you will never forget that ever in your life. And you are now a fan for life. But your friends and your family and your, yeah. your direct people around you, when you tell them and when you tweet that and when you Instagram that, they are now on board and they have created legacy right. in them. And that's there for life. Then the audience who are there watching, who are going, what bunch of legends for mm. doing that? Yeah. Now you've created legacy in them. And I am 3,000 miles away and I'm telling everyone that's about right. this. Yeah. And, and what I say to bands is, how much did that cost them? Yeah. It cost them nothing. And it's just a little Literally bit of creativity, is yeah. you know. But that legacy in one person, but doing it in a way where thousands and thousands of people have gone, I'm touched by mm. that. That's amazing. Instead of going, here's another gig. Come to my gig. Listen to my music. Do my thing that I want to do. Buy my merchandise. They just went, no, no. You can do. You'll do all that if we look after you on a one-to-one -one so basis. That lens that we talked about earlier, that Bruce helped you look through. <coughs> it sounds like you've developed that lens further yeah because you've looked more deeply into okay before it was about technical ability then it moved to are you providing value yeah. what's the whole experience and now it's another dimension it's like are you creating legacy yeah how meaningful is this experience yeah and i wonder deliberate or not this new phase of your life where you're doing the youtube thing and you're teaching um, and you're you're at a point where you're now looking for bands aren't you to yeah to support is that the new is that dimension the the kind of thing that sits at the middle of this uh, um i think so i think again it's a new challenge everything to me has got to be about i think i'm at a stage in my life now probably because i'm i'm lucky enough that i don't have to panic about the bills so everything is like let's check let's do it let's do something which is a proper challenge so everything should be a bit make or break at mm. the moment so this idea of moving to new york complete make or break is it going to work i've got no idea will i like it don't know will i come back maybe um and with the youtube thing i've spent the last three years standing up against the wall saying here's my advice here's my advice and i just thought number one i'm bored of it i'm bored of it so i don't want to get to the point where i just sack it off and do something else and i just thought what if i put my money where my mouth is and manage a band from somewhere in the world and just say i'm going to give you six months of management i'm going to manage you for six months is it and just, just going to be one band? One band. Yeah, okay. And I'm going to document the entire process. Literally a, a documentary for however, however many hours of every process from even we've documented coming up with the idea. So I had this idea. I was like, let's film this. We filmed how it's going to work. I've still got no idea how this is going to work. Mm. I've got no idea if this is going to, I might fail completely drastically, but then I'm like, but there's a lesson. If I fail and you watch me fail and you go, ah, you failed. I'm like, well, learn from me. It's still going to be worth the investment exactly, of your time. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I just thought it's terrifying. I love the fact that it's terrifying because I don't, I don't know I don't know how to manage a band. I don't know what we're trying to achieve. I don't even know who the band is yet. I've got to find yeah. the band, and that's part of the so, documentary. So, so this you know, this is, you know goes back to our language of the known and the unknown. Mm. And when you when you're stepping into the unknown, it's when you feel most alive. Yeah, you know, and, and, and it has to be it has to be uncomfortable. Yeah, does, it, does it feel uncomfortable? 
unbelievably uncomfortable. Because because there's no, I've got to the point now. Uh, I used this analogy on um, on one of my videos the other day. I was uh, I've been doing loads of research on managers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do they do? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I saw this interview with Scooter Braun, who's a very famous music manager. He discovered Justin Bieber um, and manages a load of pop artists. And he used this phrase, "Burn the ships." I'm looking for someone who burned the ships, and it's a, a reference to a, a, a Spanish conquistador called Cortez who um, invaded Mexico. So he got to Mexico with all his with all his ships, and he instructed it men to burn all their ships so they can go back no retreat that, yeah so the only way we can get off this and go back to spain is once we've conquered it we get on their ships and we take their ships yeah, yeah. and he's like i want someone to burn the ships so you look back and go there's no turning back mm. and i feel like that's where i'm at and i'm looking at it thinking i've put this all over my social media i've got people to to send me music everyone knows what i'm about to do and my brain is literally going what are you doing <laughs> like you've got this real sweet easy ride people i'm getting like i get somewhere between sort of 200 300 new subscribers to youtube every single day i'll get a hundred messages from people saying of you know su support lots of hey uh, lots of support lots of people saying how do i get involved how can i do things this is every single day and it's growing faster and faster and faster. I'm on this sweet deal and my brain is going, you're an idiot. What are you, yeah, you're an idiot. What are you doing? But I'm also thinking it's a bit shit or bust, but this could be massive. Yeah. It could be terrible. But it, it, yeah. This is your left brain and right brain it having is. a conversation. Right, That's what yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a shit idea. It's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. It's a shit idea. It's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. You know, I still can't figure out which it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you know, you know yeah. it will be an experience that, That's right. you, that, that you won't regret, I would imagine. Yeah. And Whatever happens. Well, you know, I look at it and go, do I want to be standing against the wall doing YouTube videos in two years' time? No. Well, there's my answer. <laughs> Do I want to be standing at this conveyor belt polishing these shampoo bottles yeah. in two weeks' time? No. Well, in which case, what's your options? Yeah. Not that. Yeah. So effectively, my options are, if I don't want to be standing against the wall, my YouTube is going to go. So therefore, you need to do something. So I guess this is the thing I've chosen. <laughs> it's I think it sounds great. Yeah. We're yeah. going to love following it. You must have seen the... Um, Shep Gordon documentary, Super Super. That's, that's who yeah. I was. I was oh. trying to remember his name. Like, yeah. So, so I'm going to ask. There's one ask in this. We'll, we'll in put this. it in the show notes. No, no. There's yeah. one ask. There is an ask. There's a genuine ask. So Shep Gordon. Yeah. Eventually, you will listen to this podcast. Right. Because your story is going to be good enough. Right. That you're going to lead Shep Gordon to listen to this okay. podcast. At that point, Shep, when you're listening to this, can you please come on this podcast We're make and it have happen. that conversation? But but next, in order to understand how this is going to happen, yeah, just go watch that documentary. Okay. Because I think it will help in some ways. And what what is well, so Shep Gordon, uh, so the documentary Supermensch all about Shep Gordon. Shep Gordon's this unknown guy. He's now really well known, but right. he was in the shadows um, making the success of loads of people. Ah. So in particular, it was um, Alice Cooper. Oh, right, okay. Uh, but he's also uh, got relationships with Jimi Hendrix, a whole bunch of other people of that era. But his whole thing was basically he was a really good guy who got the importance of looking after people. Right. And so the story they tell in Supermensch is what was what was Shep Gordon's super skill? Why why was it that the, um, the, the 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 biggest success stories of the day wanted to hang out with him and no one knew who he was, and he seemed to make everything else around him successful right. because he cared about people and he cared about this. But all the stuff that you're oh, talking yeah. about, it was yeah, deep. yeah, you know, it's a win-win-win. Yeah. Yeah. That's he he just went into everything looking for the win-win-win. This so, is my homework for the day. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you're going <laughs> to love it. It's one of the best documentaries ever. Right. I'm so there are some that. gifts here. But yeah, Shep, when you hear this, which you will, can you come come? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. All right, so. Um, we're going to really look forward to watching what happens next yeah, in every regard. I, I, that, and I love the fact that, you know, 
if it fails and I fail in front of everyone, then because we all worry, don't we? We all worry about, yeah. you know, a lot of the times it's I don't mind failing. I just don't want other, everyone else to know. That's, that's where the failure really comes from. It's not today. So often it's not really about you losing everything. Yeah. Because you can lose everything in so many other ways. Yeah. And you don't worry about those things. And actually, even when you lose everything, we're all fortunate enough to live in a Western world which looks after us yeah. on the whole. So um, it's it's exactly that. It's just that you're, you're really what we're concerned about more often than not is how it feels, how other people respond to us. But actually, if you just embrace it, what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. Well, we failed. We look silly. Yeah. For a while. It's okay, isn't it? For a moment. Yeah, for a moment. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited about doing something new and just seeing what happens and... You know, but I think there's definitely looking, I think it's easy to look back, isn't it? And go, oh, the psychology of this, that, and the other. But I think there's just those moments of just shake things up. You know, like you said, where it's the seven year thing. That's just it. Shake it up. Let's do something different. Yeah. So this is a, possibly one of those moments. The social media thing started. And I remember thinking, go, go with it and see what happens. You know, moving. The whole thing is just very shake it up, see yeah. what happens, shake it up. Where can people find you, Damien? It's not hard, actually. I look. No, it's, it's nice. just it's pretty. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. How do people stay away from you? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. uh, I mean, anything with Damien Keys, if you can spell my name it's right, a good or name wrong, as well, isn't it? Pops up. That's probably where it all starts. Yeah, it just pops up. <laughs> uh, yeah, anywhere you come and find me. And what I mean, I always say this: it's getting harder, but every every social media platform is connected to me and me alone, and so therefore it comes through to my phone. Um, it's got to the point now with Instagram and face and uh, especially Instagram and YouTube where I, I think going back to the one-to-one looking after people, I try and like everyone else message everyone back on a one-to-one basis. Um, about a month ago I was sat and I was spending, I allocated three hours every night just for messages. So that was like just I do the day and there was like six or seven until nine or 10 at night, just comments and DMs, comments and DMs. Of course, you do that, what do you get? More comments and more DMs. Yeah, yeah. It's growing and growing and growing. But, you know, the whole thing is I just feel like we live in a world now where everyone's connected. So just gives a shout. Yeah. And and we're we're gonna definitely watch. Maybe we end up at New York at some point and watch. Oh yeah, first. sounds That'd good. That'd be great. Oh, yeah, fantastic. And um, your book. What's the book called? So I've, got, I've actually got a second book now. I've, I, and I had a meeting this week on the third one, where I just I am um, where it was a very similar thing where I just thought I have not got time to write a third book. That is just absolutely create out of the question i have absolutely no time so when's that due out so yeah i think that's probably gonna come out about <laughs> six months time because my brain just went oh really <laughs> you know, really i think you know that i know we're wrapping up but i think that is something i think a lot of people have is my whole life also is people telling me i can't do, do something, something. Uh, yeah and so then you just you go right that? well well watch a, watch me yeah, watch yeah, me yeah. try watch me fail yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um but the, the first book is called the rule breakers guide to social media so that's a social media it's mostly about consumption and how you can use consumption within social media as opposed to the technicalities. Uh, my second book, because I deal with musicians a lot, uh, is called Stop Selling Music because I made a video where I I made a video called Stop Selling Music and it in, in the music education sphere, everyone was up in arms about it and I just thought it was obvious. Nobody buys music, so stop trying to sell it to them because why would you buy something that's free, yeah. do something to create value and monetize elsewhere? And no one wants to admit that that's oh, what's happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like I just challenged their belief, belief system with some kind of rational. Mm. Uh, and yeah, so I thought, well, I'll call the book that then as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Stop Selling Music and Other Life Lessons for Musicians. And yeah, just... Now, I, I even did an audio book, which for someone who's not great at reading, 
was hilarious. So, so doing an audiobook because I listen to all these these audiobooks all the time. Uh, I read something the other day that Warren Buffett reads for four hours a day. Yeah, I heard this. And thing. I was That's like, his job, he reads. Yeah, he yeah. reads. And I was like, well, that makes sense. He's very smart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was like, the problem is I'm not very good at reading, so <laughs> yeah. four hours wouldn't get me through a lot. Four hours of listening. Exactly. Four yeah. hours of listening. You can get through a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. You can journey. do it while you're walking, running, absolutely on the train. Which is what's so great about one, podcasts. One last question, actually. <laughs> So, if you listen to a piece of music yeah. for the first time, do you hear the melody, the music, or do you hear the words of the song? That's really interesting. Um, I think for me, because my bass background, I'm instantly thinking about the groove and the feel and the time. And, um, and then probably secondary going for the lyrics and, yeah. and the meaning but I would think the lyrics definitely go in because it has to sort of mean something to me will you remember the lyrics can you go back to it like I'm, having listened to it three or four times I am so bad I mean I, yeah. I've so done thousands of gigs and I'm standing on stage and I look at the guitarist and go what was the what was the line I feel like this question is like you know those um those uh, images that go viral yeah, yeah, yeah. again it's like one of those questions where people don't realize it but it divides people yeah and i think there's something about what it says around the part of the brain that you trigger the most right and so maybe the the listening rather than reading there's something there there's yeah. some analogy don't know what it is we'll work that one that's out. crazy i don't i don't hear either by the way <laughs> <Do> you know <laughs> <laughs> you're still looking at the pictures on the wall yeah. not very musical <laughs> i love music but <laughs> no, thank right. you so much Damon. thank you so great. much for having yeah me. loved it cheers that's it folks for show notes head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links a quick summary and you can also explore other conversations if you're enjoying this podcast then please tell your friends give us a good rating and remember to subscribe we're also really keen to hear your feedback so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on twitter you can tweet us at lifedonediff that's double f 